feature presentation. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 109 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Marchin. Matt, we're in the zone of interest, a time where you think about the year that has passed, you look forward to what is coming in the year ahead, and then you also wonder how long this this is this is the I think the longest week of the year because nothing really happens. You're kind yeah. of at a standstill. Yeah. And you're just thinking to yourself, like Especially what? in the in the times we're in right now, right? Where it's Yeah, like, what do I do with myself? <clears throat> which I you know, the last two years, I can't believe we're going into twenty twenty two, right? But um happy holidays, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful uh Christmas, Hanukkah, uh Festivus, Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa. Um whatever you celebrate, I hope you had a wonderful time. Um yeah, as Eric mentioned, we're in that weird taint period of the year where, <laughs> um, like, it's just the in between uh, the beginning of the year and the holidays. So it's um, where all the sweat collects. Yeah, and I mean, people, many people do different things this week. Everyone just says, you know, give yourself a pass, um, do nothing this week. Eric and I um, were recording because you know Nevis is um, safely at, at a cottage with some friends. They all tested before and are together and. Uh, just for a couple days. So I have the 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 bachelor pad to myself the last couple days. So what do I decide to do? Uh, smoked a joint last night and watched Barb and Star and Shang-Chi. <laughs> and then I watched like four hours of the Try Guys just because like that's what you do when you're up until two in the morning when you have Oh, did you uh, – with, uh- Baking without a menu or cooking without a menu. Yeah, that's a great series, but I was already caught up on that. Basically, it was like all the in-between stuff. A lot of the trivia, a lot of the like other cooking shows that they have. I just like w- went down a rabbit hole of other Try Guy content that I, I hadn't watched. But then, yeah, I watched Barb and Star and Shang-Chi again. Uh, but then I'm like, oh, Eric and I should get some recording done because, you know, I, I hate to bother Nevis when she's home because we're in a small – uh condo again as everyone knows who listens to this so it's a it's kind of annoying when you only have a couple rooms in the place where she has to either put her headphones on or do something else so anyways um yeah it's that weird year where you shouldn't really be doing anything but we decided we wanted to record because actually we enjoy doing this we spent like an hour and a half or two hours putting together um our most anticipated films of 2022 Uh, it's something a tradition on this podcast I, I've enjoyed doing with you, Eric, where we did 20, 20 most anticipated for 2020, 21 most anticipated for 21. Now we have 22 most anticipated for 2022. One film, to tease it out, has appeared on all three of those lists <laughs> because of the times we're in. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll be doing that as our big topic of the show uh, later in the show. But Eric, um, how were your holidays? Um you, I know you just got boosted. I got boosted as well, so that's good. Yeah. Um, did you have a good Christmas? Did you get a big bag of Werther's Originals? Will we be saving that until April of next year? Um, oh, he's getting up, everybody, for audio listeners. Um, I love this because if you remember uh, a few <laughs> a few months ago, is it a new bag? Oh, my God. That's incredible. For audio listeners, Eric's did, Eric did grab a big bag of Werther's. Is this a new bag? It's a new, new it's a brand new bag of Werther's Originals. For Uh, people who aren't maybe regular listeners, there was an episode, you opened your dad's gifts from 2020, 
this year, like halfway through the year. Yeah, right? back in, in back in the summer because um, of 2020 being the dumpster fire that it was. Um, nobody Not got that together. This year's and, any different, but no. But at least you know, like we're vaccinated, and yeah. you can kind of get together. It's a little in bit smaller groups. Better, yeah. yeah. So and and yeah, I mean, 2021 has its own issues, but. Um, yeah, so I, I had got this huge bag of Werther's, which I ended up using as Halloween candy when we ran out of Halloween candy at uh, at my house. Um, and then uh, those Ky- poor kids, Kyle and yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm surprised we didn't get egged. Um, and then Kyle and I, uh, when we went over um, to my dad's place in Newtonville, uh, both got a giant pack of Werther's originals. And, um, you know, like that, that happens. It happens every year. It's happened since I've been a, a child. Like it's, it's, it, it, it's so consistent. It's the most sort of consistent thing in, in, in my life when it comes to, um, uh, sort of gift giving and gift receiving. Like I'm always going to get a bag of Werther's from my dad because he thinks does I'm he, a 75 year old man. Does he think you, you really like them or I does it guess, just like, I mean, like I don't mind butterscotch and I think is, I is had... it a parent here's the thing that parents like to do sort of cut you off but my no, no, mom does fine. a similar thing where they fixate on one thing you mentioned to them once or they saw you do once and then for the rest of your life that's a thing or it's like whatever new thing they know that you're doing for me this year it was a VHS tapes collecting them so obviously my mom saw that I was collecting VHS tapes so I opened about 47 VHS tapes on Christmas morning um, but parents like to do that. Your dad probably saw you once take a Werther's from like your grandparents' house. And he was like, that's Eric's thing. He but he also Werther's does that now. with Connor and, and, and Kyle as well. My brothers. And like, or is it a joke? Does he, is it, is it kind of like satire? Is he doing it like intentionally no. as a laugh? You know what it is? I'll t- it, it, it's partly because he probably at one point saw us eat a Werther's and we liked it. But I think it's also partly to do with, he's a man of habit. He's a creature sure. of habit where sure. like, a lot of people get set in their ways where it's like, okay, you know, like I do this, I have this routine, I follow it to, you know, the ninth degree every single day. He does that. He's, he's very regimented when it comes to any aspect of life. And especially when it comes to the holidays. So the Werther's um, are it's just, always, that's the thing he does now. The yeah. stocking stuffers. We, Kyle and I were just on the way home. We were talking about, cause like it's been, it was a pretty low key Christmas for us this year. And yeah, we were talking same. like driving back and it kind of is like right now, like spring weather almost where, you know, like if you were to look outside and not know the date, you would assume it could be, you know, March and not, you know, the end of December. But we were just talking about like how predictable it is. And like we've we've even kind of like talked to him before. It's like, you know, you don't have to like get us like any stockings. Especially worse. Yeah. Or or any other stocking stuff or stuff. Because like he buys us like axe body deodorant and things like that. And we're just like, we don't use any of this. It's Um, incredible. But it was just nice to see them and 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 what have you. But uh, yeah, overall I would say it was a pretty low-key christmas i didn't even get to i haven't even physically been in the same room as my newborn nephew ivor yet and and kyle was hoping you know he's fluent from vancouver and and he'll be heading back at the beginning of january and you know i totally understand why but you know like that would have been nice but unfortunately that's 
not in yeah the cards. with everything right now yeah. but i'm also excited Better for future story, christmases right? where he'll become of age and aware of what christmas is and you that's can kind always of fun right live vicariously through them and their <clears throat> excitement yes that's uh someone else was mentioning that oh my friend nick my old roommate nick he had a um a son um last year and he's still very young but he was talking about how you know it brings a kind of new rejuvenated kind of love for the holidays and christmas because you can buy your kid something or if you have a friend's kid or, or whoever like my mom still goes absolutely um she might be listening. I know she, with her new AirPods, um, might be listening um, because I know she likes to throw our show on on YouTube and stuff like that. But God bless her. She's the one. Thanks, Anne. Um, she loves Christmas and she just loves getting gifts for people. And if you ever look at our Christmas tree on Christmas morning, I'm 30, turning 33. Uh, my sister's I'm 30. Turning yeah. 30. Nevis is 30, uh, 31. Um, and with Nevis also uh, celebrating Christmas with us every year now, my mom, that's extra gifts. She has to get Nevis as much as she gets Sarah and I. And every year I don't really give a Christmas list anymore. I told my, tell my mom to like, let's cool it on the gifts. Let's like, like, let's tone it down a little bit. But my mom loves it so much. She, every little thing she buys you, she will wrap. Like, so you, there ends up being like, 50 gifts per person because no matter if it's as small as a $2 VHS tape from Value Village or a little pack of cards or, or whatever, my mom will wrap it. Each individual pair of socks she'll wrap. So it looks like you have 400 gifts. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Sorry. Um, and so this year was like the same where we had a million gifts each and she's the best. And it's it was nice. It was, again, a low-key Christmas for us as well because um, uh I declined doing anything with a larger group this year. Um, I said I was comfortable seeing my parents and my sister as long as we all tested before, which we did. Um, had to do it in uh, my sister's driveway in our car doing that rapid test, trying to like – Nevis and I sitting in our you know Ford Focus trying to do this rapid test together. Um, but we did it. We're all okay. Um, got together. Um, you know, we were going to get together with my mom's side of the family, but because that group was going to be a, a little bit larger, um, you know, I've been very strict when it comes to all the COVID stuff. Like, again, I was going to go to Critics Choice, but because of the Omicron thing and it being canceled, we have to cancel our LA trip now. So we also declined uh, getting together with um, my mom's side of the family because it was going to be more than 10 people. I'm sure, you know, everyone was going to test and stuff, but it was still one of those things where we were trying to avoid large gatherings. So we just kind of had a low-key Christmas at um, at my parents' place in Clarington uh, over in the old retirement village at Wilmot Creek, not to docks where my parents are, but um, <clears throat> they um, – they uh, are having a – it's very quiet there, very lovely. Um, we just had nice holidays with them. Got a couple things. What do I have here? Uh, movie stuff. I got Jurassic World Collection, nice steel book on um, on 4K. Uh, I didn't own Jurassic Park on 4K yet. Uh, I had a digital 4K, and then I'm like, well, if I'm going to get Jurassic Park on 4K um, – I might as well get the rest because I actually do like the lost world and I am nostalgic for the third movie, even though it's not very good. Um, but the Alan on the airplane <laughs> always makes me um, laugh. And then I have the two Jurassic world movies on 4k now, even though fallen kingdom 
is terrible. Um, and then other Christmas stuff, I got a whole bunch of VHSs. I don't have them here. I got a giant, I don't know if you can see it over there, but um, the history of Marvel Studios, this giant coffee table double volume book um, that I'm excited to go through. Um, and some video games I got. Uh, I played so much NHL 22 yesterday. Your brother would be happy. Uh, there's my boy Austin Matthews on the cover. And then I also got Guardians of the Galaxy, Eric. They nice. made a video game. I haven't played it yet, but uh, looking forward to playing that. So, you know, got some good gifts. And um, movie-wise, the Marvel Studios and the Jurassic World thing were probably the biggest uh, movie gifts that I got. Nevis got me a wonderful new jacket. Um, she got me a projector, which is actually in the realm of a movie stuff. So in the summer, we can kind of sit out on the balcony and watch stuff outside on the projector. So um, some lovely gifts from uh, Nevis as well. Um, some new lighting I'm going to put up, but it was a good time, man. It was, uh, I always love Christmas. I am a sucker for the holidays and like, I love Christmas music. I love Christmas movies. Um, I watch the same, you know, handful of Christmas movies every year, like, you know, Elf and the Santa Claus and uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, which is my favorite Christmas movie. Um, I watched Klaus for the first time this year. I It's been out for a few years, but I just never caught it. Um, have you watched it? Yeah, I watched it. it the year <laughs> it was released. It, it was with J.K. Simmons and um, Jason Schwartzman, right? Yeah, it's um, it's cute. Um because we did the episode where we talked about what was the last Christmas classic. And this was like the question I kept bringing up to everyone. Uh, brought it up to my family. My my dad loves a, a Polar Express. So that was his choice. But Does he love hot um, chocolate though? He does. He made a hot chocolate when I was there actually at nice. one point. Um, and I proposed that question. They voted for Polar Express. I still think it was pro- it's probably Elf. But I know a few people online said that Klaus had... Uh, I think Klaus and Christmas Chronicles are the two that had the potential, both Netflix films, um, to be considered classics or maybe moving forward be in that you know category of stuff people revisit all the time. And I think people will um, both of those movies, the first Christmas Chronicles and Klaus, but I don't think either of them really hit those highs of some of these other movies. Even the, like the quality of the Santa Claus isn't great um, or things like that. But I just feel like they have this iconic kind of quality and maybe that's nostalgia playing in that. Maybe we need some years to go by before we kind of look back at those movies. But um, <clears throat> I I liked Klaus, but I, I wasn't blown away. Like I liked the animation style. I thought it was really clever in the way that they took all the um, the myths of Santa Claus and kind of the origins of how those kind of things got passed down. And I thought it was really, really clever. I just, uh, there was something missing that made it special for me. Um, but watch that over the holidays. I, um, got my mom into Cobra Kai, which as, as you guys are listening to this, we're allowed to talk about season four. Eric and I have both watched it. Eric, I think is in the either has finished rewatching it or you're in the middle of a rewatch of season four. Oh, I'm done. We we, literally uh, Kyle and I, and my stepfather, like this, this was the thing that I loved the most during um, this year's holidays was that I just got to hang mm-hmm. out with family, family yeah. and especially with Kyle. Who family. I, I watched who F9 I, with Nevis. Who I don't get to see physically uh, much at the moment because he's in Vancouver. 
um, we just watched movies together and we just watched, we, we literally binged watched Cobra Kai and the first night of watching it, we got through like seven uh, of the 10 <laughs> episodes and we just couldn't, like, we literally had to like tear like, ourselves have to away. to go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from, from watching it. And, and that goes to show you how addictive that show is, yeah. uh, but also how entertaining it is um eric and i will have a review probably by the time you're listening to this it should be up Um, yeah i'll just say it's karate time oh my god it's so good dude i'm in the middle of rewatching the whole series now so like basically nevis and i it's wild how early we got that show too because i like uh, we got it in october and i remember it was before i moved here um and I was at the old place. I think it was the week of moving and my jaw hit the floor when I got that Netflix screener like email that we get every week. So for inside baseball stuff, we get basically how the Netflix screeners work is that each week we get an email dump on Wednesdays that are like, here are the new screeners that are in your account. And on the TV side of things, it's just you know, whatever new Netflix originals are coming out, we get like a list of like, here are the screeners in your account. Here are the screener letters, embargoes, what you can and cannot talk about. Um, Cobra Kai coming out, you know, on New Year's Eve, um, not expecting middle of October to get an email being like, season four is in my account right now and it's the middle of october and i just dropped everything and i like ran up to nevis because i got her into it uh when season three was coming out uh which is when i got into it and um i my jaw hit the floor and i was like we need to immediately watch this so after moving i watched it back in october and i mean we're gonna review it and it's still pretty fresh in my head i'll go through um the just to refresh my brain of the episode descriptions but um man it's just it's i said it's the greatest show on television and people said that that was a bold statement and i'm i'm not afraid to say that because like it is my favorite thing um i hope we get another one of these every year for the next 20 years well they're already done season shooting season five which is incredible because then i'm like do we have to wait till next december or are we getting this in like august or something or like even earlier like um, cause I guess they shot them back to back. That's what they said. Um, which is fantastic. Um, and I just, it is, if you are listening to this and you have not watched Cobra Kai and we'll probably reiterate this in our review, it's like drop whatever you're doing, rewatch all four karate kid movies. And I know some people are like, Oh, the fourth one, we got to watch the fourth one that I'm not teasing anything. Uh, I'm just saying it's part of the Miyagi verse. You got to watch the fourth one, even if it has nothing to do with Cobra Kai, then you got to watch all four seasons of Cobra Kai. Cause it is some <laughs> of the most enjoyable shit I've ever seen in my life. Like it's so much fun. Like if you like fast and the furious and that kind of like cheesy soap opera kind of both it's ridiculous, but it is sincere and it's just the action is fun and just like it is i think it's surpassed fast and furious for me of being like the epitome of like um both machismo but also weirdly sweet and genuine and like having really great character beats probably way better than even the fast movies do um and just like some genuinely good performances and and the best way of um using nostalgia and that legacy sequel like i think it is the best representation 
of, you know, the legacy sequel and how to do it, especially in a TV series, which I would have just never expected from the Karate Kid movies, which I had no attachment to at all. Like other than knowing of them, my my biggest frame of reference from the for the Karate Kid movies was Ninja Turtles Two, uh, Secret of the Ooze, where Michelangelo does wax on wax off in April's apartment, and like that to me, I knew was from Karate Kid, but like I liked the Ninja Turtles more than Karate Kid. Um, so that was my frame of reference, and I watched them all for the first time last year. And I, I'd seen the first Karate Kid, but I barely remembered it. But uh, anyways, we shouldn't go too long on this because you can check out a review for Cobra Kai 4 um, on the reviews channel right now. Yeah, I was, I, thinking, am... I was thinking about it a lot while watching um, The Matrix Resurrections as well. Yeah. And thinking about like Which you how... guys can check out a review of that as well soon-ish. I don't know when it'll be up. Yeah, how you mentioned the Legacy sequel, but <laughs> how it also is kind of playing with the kind of meta-narrative. And sort of yeah. like looking at itself in an introspective kind of manner and also being self-aware that this movie takes place within, or the series takes place within a world that isn't necessarily the real world, mm -hmm. but also knows that it's within this sort of context of like, okay, how, what we're picking and choosing to reference that are, are movies, but also movies that we, or this series and, and, and the film series has, you know, blatantly ripped off or, or taken for its own sort of uh, formula. Um, and I find that that's really fascinating um, and, and how it kind of all plays with that. And then again, it's expanding on the world building, the world building that was already there. I mean, it wasn't really much of a, a world to begin with, but the, what it has created in the Cobra Kai series um, is both fascinating. And again, just so, watchable like it, it's one of those shows that when you when you start you know from either the beginning of the series or if you're you're you know you, you've been watching from season one to now season four and when you start season four when it's available on uh december 31st it's hard to tear yourself away from it it has to be the most watchable show on tv if you don't agree with the best show on television uh it's definitely the most watchable like easily watchable like if it's on you just want it like you said you just want to keep eating it and keep like you just can't it's once you pop you just can't stop you know it's pringles um it, it's so good and i think johnny uh, lawrence is one of the great characters in television um going right now um, i agree dude and who would have ever thought yeah and, like, and i and i can't wait to talk more about like terry silver as well. oh my god i know i know there's a lot of stuff we have to dance around but uh go check out that review because i can't wait to talk about that with eric so we should probably have a way more in-depth conversation uh over there um, other than that, Eric, watching on my end, I, I did check out a couple new Blu-rays that are coming out uh, either soon or already have. Oh, they're, out, they're already both available um, uh, now to, to purchase. I thought No Time to Die was – or no, that's Dune that comes out on the 11th. Yeah. Um, but both No Time to Die and The Mitchells versus The Machines, which I have right here. If you're on YouTube, you can check those out. Um, did get review copies uh, over from our friends at Sony to check those out um quickly like if you're looking for reviews on blu-rays from us you're not getting the super technical you know if you listen or watch a show that i'm i'm very particular about quality and um and, but i'm not very nerdy when it comes if you want great in-depth you know 
reviews, go to digital bits, go to blu-ray.com, things like that. But if you want kind of an overall impression on if these are worth picking up, uh, then you're in the right spot. Uh, one of my favorite movies of the year, Mitchell's versus the machines, uh, needed to pick up a physical copy of this because we know that it got, you know, uh, put on Netflix, uh, didn't really get a theatrical release. I think it got a short window when everything, you know, became okay again, um, earlier in the year, it might've played a few places, but, um, I, I was thrilled when we heard that this was uh, getting a physical release. So I had to kind of pick it up and check it out. Uh, super creative, just like the movie uh, menus all look like criterion menus. I thought that was really, really uh, cute. Um, it's basically got an insert from Katie Mitchell director's notes as well. Um, and I'm just like a sucker for like packaging. Like look at these discs. If you're on the video version, like, um, Basically, they're like look like burnt CDs and DVDs and Blu-rays, uh, and it's got like Katie did all the art on it. I know it's kind of hard to see. I think that's better in focus yeah. there. Um, but just like the attention to detail that they do um, on this of looking like Criterion menus and having Katie be the one that put together this like physical release because she's such this film dork that makes movies and stuff like that. I did watch. Uh, dog cop seven the final chapter uh which was very very cute um not great by any means but a really fun kind of like if katie made this live action version and they use a uh, a doll and puppets just like she does in the movie for the dog cop movies and it's like a full eight minute short um i did check out the um the katie like super version of the movie as well uh, i forget what exactly or oh, the I think it's like the Katie's extended cinematic bonanza cut, which uh, they did a similar thing for spider verse as well. I think where basically they do a lot of storyboards and um, uh, deleted scenes and things like that, and kind of edit it into this alternate version of the movie, not going to be everyone's cup of tea. And I'm like, I think it's a really cool feature to have, especially for a movie. If you're like really obsessed with it and you've seen it a bunch of times and you just kind of want to see what, was left on the cutting room floor for whatever reason. Um, I think it's just fun to see that process of them putting together this movie and all of the ideas that they have and maybe not everything made its way into the movie. Um, it is a little jarring to kind of just see cinematics and like, uh, especially they don't have uh, the voice cast do a lot of the voices for those scenes because it never made it that far. So, and they even have like a thing at the beginning saying like, basically you have Mike Renata and, um, some of the other people who worked on the movie just doing like uh basically uh, temp voices for a lot of the stuff for the storyboarded scenes and stuff like that um it's cool just not necessarily like i i think it's a cool feature to have but it's a weird way to watch the whole movie but I, if you've seen it a whole bunch of times i can understand that being kind of fun but um and then all the kind of other uh special features is something for a movie like this which i'm like obsessed with one of my favorite movies of the year i do really love like it's something that i do miss is like i get a lot of my stuff digital now and you can go in and find those special features but i feel like you don't usually do that when you have a digital version you just kind of hit play and watch the movie like it was a streaming service or something like that so i feel like you know me even someone who's mostly switched my whole library over digitally or vhs digitally, or vhs which is what i'm doing now is like i'm collecting a lot of movies on vhs just because like it's a novelty item to me to collect like i love your behind you eric and anyone who hasn't watched the youtube version should go see Eric's collection behind him. I think it's very, very impressive. But, and even for me, who's a quality dork, 
the 4K Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos versions that you can get on Apple or on Netflix or things like that, like look good enough to me. Like they, they do look not even good enough. I think they look really, really good, especially like Disney with the, I have some impressions on the Disney IMAX stuff too, that I want to get to, but um, they look great. Um, but there was something like, even when I popped in this Blu-ray, which is a, not even a 4k, they didn't put it out on 4k. It's just, I think the only way to get it on 4k is on, uh, Apple, like iTunes to buy that version. I don't even think Netflix has the 4k version unless they've updated it. Um, I don't know if they did at the time, but, uh, special features are great on this. Uh, it looks fantastic. Um, you can still tell with like the bit rates and stuff on a disc and especially in audio quality, which I'll get to on no time to die as well. Like, um, it's just superior. And I agree with that. Like it is the best way to watch these movies is a physical disc. I just think it's so close now with that 4k digital version that like, um, that's why I've moved over to only getting my favorite movies, uh, which we'll cover on next week's show, our best of 2022. But like my favorite movies of each year are usually the ones I pick up on Blu-ray, which is why I wanted to check out Mitchell's versus the machines and no time to die. And then even popping in Mitchell's versus machines and putting it on again, I'm like, man, this looks better than the Netflix version. There's no, they're like, and most, not everyone would be able to tell, but right when I put the disc on, just seeing the way, and I mentioned this in our review for Mitchell's versus machines that like, they do this like faux film grain that really kind of makes the animation really work. That kind of blend of styles. But like, right when you put this on, it just like, there's a clarity and like a, uh, a tactile, like, again, just like you would see film in a theater when you put a Blu-ray in like that quality, um, especially when it's done really, really well. And you can tell that they care about putting out a physical version. Um, it looks great. You're smirking. Cause you see like, it's like, Eric was right. Hashtag. Is that what you're saying? Like, I, well, no, I just, um, I, 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 I love everything you're saying. Yeah. This is a great promo for physical media, but yeah. also like, I, I agree with you in the sense that like, <laughs> You know, the 4K Apple digital versions of films are also great for movies that maybe, to your point, you're on the fence about, like, owning a physical copy or whether you, you know, maybe liked it enough to consider owning it, you know, in your iTunes library. It's like, okay, like, I don't want to pay, I don't want to have this thing sitting on my shelf and and taking Mm -hmm. up room. I totally understand that. But what I love about this film as well, and, 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 and you mentioned it, is that they're putting effort into the packaging in a way that yeah. the only other, the only, the only other person that kind of does this with um, non boutique uh, films is someone like David Fincher, where you look at the way that he Fincher does really care about like, which is also usually Sony that he's been working. Yeah. So too. you look at, you look at uh, the girl, with the dragon tattoo or the social network, or even um, with Fox with gone girl, the way that he puts his stamp on the actual uh, Blu-ray packaging of those movies. I'm actually going to, uh, grab one right now Let's yeah and no i totally agree with you dude and and that's the kind of stuff that i feel like studios need to do and that's why boutique labels like criterion and even what neon's been doing with their end of year packages and stuff like that like so you um, look at gone girl right oh gone girl is such a social network's another really and, good one too and gone girl is kind of like put together as though it were the amazing amy books yeah it's great 
And that's the type of stuff that makes you want to buy the physical version, right? Like, especially no, for films that you love, where like it's like they're yeah. putting that extra effort in for you to be like, okay, not only do I like this movie, but now you're 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 representing everything I like about this movie in its you know in its packaging. Yeah. And and the cover for Mitchell's looks great too. And like, I don't know if the I didn't get a slip cover on the review copy. I don't know oh, if it comes shit. with one. You're just dropping stuff now. Oh yeah, um, it's okay. Godzilla um, went flying. <laughs> um, do you know if it comes with a slip cover or not? It does. Like, yes. Okay. So this one, my review copy did not. So I'm assuming the slip cover is great, and I'm gonna probably be anal and now have to try to find just the slip cover somewhere. Well, I ordered buy. mine on eBay um, because I yeah. also like ordering mine without French on it. So I know um, that's the one thing I will. Yeah. It's small, but and the way that the the cover art still looks like if we're going to criticize anything from the Canadian side of things, if we're doing a review um, that fr- and I know it's like a legal thing. So there's not yeah. much like the studio can really do, but I do appreciate that. I think Warner brothers and some other people, Disney used to do it too, um, where they would just put the sticker that said version Francais included <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And that was the best way of doing it. Um sorry or you should have put out two different versions so if i'm going to criticize something i do not love the french title even though it's small and it's like it and because it's an artistic cover it's kind of hidden yeah Um, where no time to die it's 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 pretty it's uh, it's egregious so moving on to no time to die um similar thoughts one of my favorite movies of the year the special features incredibly lacking on this, I will say. Like there's one documentary that's like 40 minutes long that's like, you know, your typical kind of standard, you know, Blu-ray special feature kind of thing. Um, but other than that, it's just a bunch of, you know, random six, seven minute stuff that they just throw on there. Um it, this looks and sounds spectacular. Again, this is actually a 4K version. Um, comes out January 11th on 4k. Um, I believe so. And I thought just, it was available I, now. The physical copy though. No, I'm thinking Dune comes out June 11th. Yes. Sorry. I keep getting yes. that so stuck Mitchell's in my head. Versus the machine and no Machines, time to die are both now available, available now. Yes. Thank you. Eric is the Blu-ray master. He knows this stuff. Uh, Dune, which we're not reviewing. That was just the copy that was given to us. We can talk about it, but, um, but this looks and sounds incredible on 4k um can't wait to rewatch the entire thing again um with nevis because she still hasn't seen it so i'm so thrilled i got this version of it so i can um not have to watch it on like dvd quality or anything like that but the 4k the sound the opening credits everything just looks incredible the movie is a very very pretty movie and i thought that when we saw it at scotiabank and then seeing it on 4k again um uh it, both of these are definitely worth picking up. The only thing I'd say is like No Time to Die doesn't have great special features, but that might not matter to you. It doesn't really matter to me for something like Bond. Um, it's, I mean, being the last Daniel Craig movie, maybe I would have liked it a cool retrospective or something like that. But They'll put that on um, like a, a future edition uh, yeah. because you know that like – They'll probably re-release it closer to when the next Bond in a whole set, right? Exactly, and that's that's mm-hmm. the thing with 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 Bond series or any franchise films, where it's like if you're buying the individual film and it doesn't really have any special features on it, you know that they're going to save those for uh, another edition, especially if it's a continuing franchise. So you'll probably get one of of No Time to Die in another sort of updated uh, Bond legacy collection, and it'll probably have more features on that. one 
one and maybe to your point like a retrospective on daniel craig's tenure as as bond but also maybe mm-hmm. some more stuff behind the scenes but yeah i, I think linus sandgren's cinematography and, and carrier fukunaga's direction in that movie is uh really really well done and it is a very melancholy um Mm -hmm. addition to uh the bond franchise and keeping within the continuity of it all so yeah two really good movies that you can um buy now on uh blu-ray and 4k physical media uh versions and both dolby atmos dolby vision yes and both Uh, do have slip covers so and if you're, if you're crazy like say, me, <laughs> like Eric said, the French is a little bit more egregious here. Yeah. That is not, not great. <laughs> Again, if I'm going to critique it, I'm going to critique it. So, uh, uh, but the movie, it sounds and looks amazing. Um, and then Dune, Eric and I both got Dune, uh, which isn't a review copy. We, we aren't even obligated to talk about it, but, uh, and you guys know our thoughts on Dune, but I am, <laughs> <Who doesn't? laughs> uh, I am excited uh it is also playing the cinesphere um this week which does have 50 percent capacity and uh social distancing so i'm almost tempted to give it another shot there because before we vote for critics choice i do want to give it another fair shot with you do want to give it another uh, shot with tempered expectations and i popped in this 4k and yeah it looks phenomenal i almost wish they had the expanded aspect ratios for the IMAX scenes, which they do not, but that's because, and here's the thing. So now let's use that to segue into um, the IMAX stuff on um, Disney plus Eric, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, go for it. So the IMAX stuff, not on the Dune uh, disc because uh, you know, Denny Villeneuve, I think he's one of those guys that um, you know, if you're going to see the IMAX version, you're going to see the IMAX version in the theater the swapping aspect ratios and stuff like that doesn't necessarily work on, on at home sometimes. Um, so that leads me into the IMAX enhanced versions of movies on Disney plus. Have you checked out any of these yet, Eric or not? no, but I know you talked about it before. Um, I was excited for were, it and when I, it was announced. Yeah. And I think it's a great thing that you still have the option um, for, and people were like, well, why would you ever want to watch the other version? And I'm like, there is a reason because I put on Iron Man and I've ne- Iron Man wasn't even originally in IMAX. I think they did it for the 10th anniversary. They re-released a bunch of Marvel movies in IMAX and they ended up doing a different cut of it in IMAX. So it has some expanded scenes and I noticed it way more in I so I have two frames of reference here. I've put on a whole bunch of them just to kind of see what they look like. But my biggest ones are probably one of the more the most recent one, which is Shang-Chi, and the first one, which is Iron Man. And you can really tell the difference uh in the two movies because of the blocking and the camera setups. Because in the first Iron Man movie, they weren't, I think, blocking for that expanded aspect ratio at all and i think in some of the earlier marvel stuff that has that expanded imax aspect ratio everything looks a little weird because if you're looking at me on uh youtube right now as a frame of reference and my voice might be quieter because i'm moving back see how there's like this much empty space above my head imagine the whole time i left this much empty space at the top of the frame but everything else was down here it looks weird right and like it's and mind you if you're framed that way and you stay there then that's one thing but like there's so much empty space at the top of the frame 
that everything looks off and it kind of throws off the composition of all of the cinematography in Iron Man in all, all of those scenes. Yeah, because, Matthew um cinematography specifically. Because especially yeah. in that movie, which was never even got an IMAX release with an expanded aspect ratio, they went back, looked at the camera negatives. And because when you shoot things digitally, which is how they were able to do this with Skyfall and other things, you just open the frame up, right? You're shooting a movie in way and you're blocking it for 239 and essentially you're cropping the image right to get that 239 widescreen so when you're shooting the movie you still have that stuff at the top and bottom of the frame but you're you're not planning to use that space your your shot composition on your monitor and how you're shooting it has that 239 aspect ratio and even for these movies that do play IMAX they're still blocking and uh, composing the shot for two, three, nine, because you have to make sure everything fits into that frame for people who are seeing that version. So I think for movies like Shang-Chi and as Marvel have gotten, you know, deeper and, and understand making these IMAX versions, like the cinematographers are looking at, okay, this has to work for both versions. And in something like Shang-Chi and the action sequences specifically, um, and the whole movie is in full frame because they, are shooting it digitally and they're like, well, we can do that. So why not just open the whole frame up? Um, and I do agree that like on your TV, cause it fits more of your TV. It does look really nice. Um, and I feel like they've gotten better at framing their stuff, but in Iron Man, dude, it looks so weird. Like I, it's, I don't even know if that's the version I'd want to watch because like, and other people have made good points too. It just like, it throws off even like the feel of certain scenes and stuff, right? Like when a close up now looks bigger because you've opened the frame up, it just kind of throws off the vibe of certain scenes. So I noticed it a lot in Iron Man because you'd have like Tony standing there and he's just talking and there'd be like this much empty, like just emptiness at the top. And I made a joke about Dune being like, oh great, you get to see more fucking sand with the aspect ratio and that was in one of the IMAX ads of being like look at you get 40% more screen and they showed a sequence where like sand was just shooting out of the ground and I'm like okay but in Shang-Chi um like even the fight on the side of the tower and um a lot of the action sequences like with that full frame to open up it actually shows more of the action and looks really really cool so I'm of two minds of it like I think it's a little bit gimmicky and um obviously the more recent stuff is better for it. And because it's just, they open up the frame for the whole movie. So like black widow, Shang-Chi and I think Eternals, which is coming in early January, all have like full frame IMAX. Like it doesn't swap back from two, three, nine and, and IMAX stuff. Um, but um, it's a cool option to have. I just like, I was a little thrown off watching Iron Man the other day and putting it on that. It was like a little bit weird to the point where I'm like, I don't know if this is the version I would suggest people watch because it's not, it just goes back and forth. And it's like, they probably could have made the whole movie full frame, but they just decided to do action sequences in full frame because they realized the dramatic stuff does not work at all because it's the shot composition is completely off. So anyways, that's my nerdy IMAX breakdown for Disney plus. Um, Eric, uh, you've been anything else you want to mention that you've been watching or 
Yeah. So uh, as as I said, my uh, brother Kyle um, was over for the holidays and uh, he wanted to watch a couple of things and, and some of it is stuff that I already watched. So uh, we rewatched Red Rocket. Uh, Simon Rex is still, I think, one of the best actors of the year in that role of Mikey Sabre. Um, it's just incredible to watch um, him just completely manipulate those around him. And um, yeah, I just, I, I, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I know he's not going to get an Oscar nomination, but it's, we're going to look back does, at it. But I would, we're going to look back at it and be like, why didn't this happen? Because it truly is, I think one of the best performances of the year. Um, uh, went to see Spider-Man No Way Home at Landmark Cinema. Kyle hadn't seen the movie yet. So we went on Christmas Eve uh, we went to a seven o'clock showing, uh, still like the movie. Uh, don't necessarily love it the way that maybe you do, but I still, um, found that the screenplay, once it kind of, you know, gets its pacing going, it, it really kind of, you know, continually swings its way to the end and it's very entertaining and, and very thoughtful and, and fun. Um, it, one thing I think is worth mentioning is that landmark in Whitby, what they were doing um, in terms of reinforcing um, wearing masks due to the Omicron uh, variant being uh, something that's spreading is they had um, staff come out about five minutes before the screening was to begin and sort of give everybody kind of a a rundown of what, you know, to do and make sure everybody was sitting in their uh, designated seats and, um, during the film itself, they had people, um, uh, staff members, employees wearing, um, sort of night or using night vision technology to make sure people had their masks, uh, on, uh, which was, uh, very much appreciated. So you would see people, you'd see staff members walking up and down the aisles to reinforce it. If someone was taking their mask off or, or, or trying to eat something, uh, cause even concessions was closed, uh, at that point. So I, I, I really do, um, appreciate that. Um, and then, uh, I finally got around to watching, uh, the Hamaguchi movie, um, drive my car, which I have to say, um, is one of the most introspective and poignant movies of last year. And the three hours was kind of something that I was a little bit apprehensive about going into, going into it, but watching it, I didn't want it to end. And it's a story that's driven by its characters first and foremost. And it sort of includes the idea of what it means to be, alone and looking at sort of the process of what it's like to be an artist, but also extrapolating, um, you know, material that has been done time and time again, the sort of the main sort of storyline is you have this Japanese playwright who uh, loses his wife and also is in the process of putting together um, his uh, uncle uh, Vanya play, which is, you know, has been done so many times and it's about finding sort of the, the, the truth within that and sort of how it's done culturally and represented and represents sort of, um, you know, other people in terms of their points of view and their perspective. And I don't want to get into it too much without people seeing the movie, but it honestly 
is one of those films that continues to surprise you as you watch the movie in both a technical sort of aspect in terms of direction and, and, and screenplay, screenplay mechanics, but also just in terms of how humane it is and honest it is and raw, you know, in exploring, you know, interpersonal relationships and how we sort of self-sabotage, but also trying to find meaning or, or, understanding and something that maybe we lost along the way or, or that we can't really find closure to. And I think all those things in this film um, make it one of the best of the year. And it's again, one of those movies where you're watching it and it is so beautifully put together and the geography of the film, because it takes place mostly in Hiroshima and you have the character basically being driven, the main character being driven from um, the festival residency where he's putting together this play back to his hotel, which is on an Island just off of Hiroshima and going back and forth. He listens to this tape of uncle Vanya again and again and again. And Patty Chayofsky has been done so many times. It's, it, you know, like the idea of like, you, you know, the, 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 the loaded gun, like that's where that comes from. Right. Where like you see a loaded gun in act one and then in act three, you know, it's going to go off. That's kind of where that sort of plot device comes from is, is from his plays. And Chayofsky also wrote network and, um, so it's just interesting to see this guy go back and forth and these long extended scenes of him listening and re-listening to certain, um, moments and sort of playing the lines of, you know, this character and, and, and listening to it, but also sharing this relationship with this driver and how it kind of forms. And again, like it takes certain elements that you think like, oh, okay, this is the reason why this character is going to be driven around. But then it's like, okay, no, there's another reason for it. It's not, you know, the, the reason that it's, 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 set, it's almost like a red herring in a weird way. Um, but it, it works so beautifully. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend uh, drive my car. Cool. Yeah. I definitely need to watch it before our, it got nominated for best foreign. Film, yeah, right or best international feature. Yeah, yeah and so it, I, and it truly deserves that nomination. <laughs> but I also think it's it's worthy of being nominated for best picture or directing or screenplay and editing. Like it, it just it's. Do you so, think I have a chance for any of that? I know we mentioned that he could make it in for best director. Maybe, yeah, but... I, I think screenplay as well. I think screenplay is 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 a place where it it does have a shot, and and even like if more editors look at it, because again, it's it is a long movie, and it doesn't necessarily have to be three hours long. But there's nothing in that film that I would cut. Like watching right. the movie, I was thinking, okay, like where, where, where is something that is like maybe quote unquote too self indulgent or yeah. something that it's like you could get to the point a lot quicker. <laughs> there's nothing in this movie that I would That's be great. like that would that if you were to lose it, I think you would lose. You would be basically it'd be like Jenga where you're pulling you know a, a piece out and it would all collapse without it. I think you need every sort of moment and and um you know, monologue that's in this movie and conversation about life and relationships and sort of uh, the regrets that we have and the guilt that we have um, when it comes to 
how we treat one another and, and how we sort of have those kind of regrets in life where you think like, Oh, what if, if I did something different, like maybe I, I blame myself for certain things. So yeah, it is a, a really, really great film. And I know that it'll be because it's um, being released through Janus films. And I believe that it is playing at places like the Tiff Bell Lightbox. but um, Criterion will be releasing a Blu-ray of it uh, sometime probably next year. Nice. Love it. Uh, anything else from uh, your Christmas watch that you want to bring up? Uh, just just those, I, I think, are the are the main ones. But yeah, Drive My Car, really, really uh, a lovely film. And it's, it's a pro-dog movie. There are multiple dogs uh, throughout the film and, and, again, used in very subtle ways. Um, so, uh, you know, how can you not love a movie that is pro-dog? Um, so, yeah, I definitely recommend watching that one. Love that. Uh, for me, um, I think the only thing uh, F nine I watched with Nevis, which is which could um, also be called Drive My Car. Yeah, it could also be Drive My Car. Yeah, and Simon different. Rex needs to join that franchise. Yeah, Simon Rex should be in the Fast and Furious franchise for sure. Uh, rewatched F nine with Nevis. Um, a funny experience watching it with her because we were we both had a very tepid response to F9 where I think we were excited for it. It was probably the first big movie I remember going to see with you after the uh, – it was one of our first return to theater movies, right? It was like, that in Escape Room uh, too. Yeah. That was a wonderful <laughs> oh, day. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Go listen to that review. The movies. Um, they're back. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know what? I had more fun with it on rewatch. Um, again, I think I ate like an edible, so I was a little bit high watching it with def definitely helps, but like I stand by that. I think all of the young Dom, young Jacob flashbacks are awesome. And like opening up on that, like 1980s universal logo is such a fucking hilarious beginning to that movie. Um, and then having all of the, the Dom and Jacob flashbacks at the racetrack with their dad and then. Um, how they continuously like revisit that and how overly dramatic. I just, you know, I love the fast franchise and like it, I think all of the present day stuff I stand by it's missing Jason Statham, the rock, Paul Walker. Um, like I really feel like it's missing their presence and it feels weirdly empty or weirdly kind of just going through the motions even with james wan or not james wan um uh god what's his name uh, justin lynn justin lynn uh coming back to the franchise and and directing it it just feels like there's so much weird like energy and with the faux film grain or whether he shot those sequences on film which i hope he did which is incredible um but all those flashbacks i just have the biggest smile on my face like when they go back and the prodigy song comes on and they're doing the like fast and furious one street race it's like it that scene rips so fucking hard it's so awesome i remember going like rewatching and i was like this scene rules why doesn't the rest of the movie rule and there's still like a lot of fun ridiculous moments and but like a lot of it like i feel like john cena maybe just like even though on paper it's like yeah he seems perfect for fast and furious john cena is the type of bad that like vin diesel trying really hard and and taking everything so seriously and uh being so sincere when it comes to the fast movies like works um, John Cena just like for some reason feels phony 
And like in everything he is in, he's like taking it seriously and he's trying to be serious. It's just like, it doesn't work in the same way where I'm like, I believe that you believe in this. It's like, every time I see John Cena, at least in something like this, like, or Bumblebee or, or whatever, um, where he's playing this type of like macho serious guy kind of thing. It's like, I don't feel like even he believes it where like in, when he's being a little bit more comedic, I I, kind of buy into it, but like anytime. And I just do not think that he works in the movie at all. And he's just not very compelling. He's better um, in the Suicide Squad, I think. I think James yes. Gunn is able to kind of the way that Gunn see his strengths and yeah, and, play and into them. And it's the same way. Although I, I think Dave Batista is a much better actor, but the way that he saw something in Dave Batista for the Guardians movies and played to his strength of being again sort of almost oblivious to everything what, that's going on and being so literal really worked in sort of kind of bringing him into the fold. And then with John Cena in the suicide squad, he's playing a character that is very much representative of probably what's even, you know, in his wrestling career in terms of like how he's been portrayed as kind of, you know, an American sort of folklore hero type. That's kind of Johnny Appleseed. Um, And then also a little bit of like even captain America. Um, And with that, I think it works, but I think it works because he's a part of an ensemble and the acting more so in the Suicide Squad than in the Fast movies is a cut above than what's to be expected. And I think that kind of helps a little bit more where it's like as much as I enjoy kind of, you know, the, you know, genuine but also self-seriousness of Vin Diesel a lot of the performances are base level at best. Oh, they're awful. But that's what yeah. kind of brings a charm to the fast movies is like you expect that and want that. But there's something from John Cena that just feels like, man, you're trying really hard, but you're not even on the same level of of sincerity or bad that everyone else is on. That it just like feels like it's a it, he just didn't mesh with that group, I feel like. And it just feels weirdly empty by the end of it. And like you know, having Charlize Theron come back and, and not enough Kurt Russell either. Like, um, as Mr. Just, Nobody and Cypher. Yeah. Like Cypher is hamming it up. I love that. She just has a different haircut and she, I feel like every time she shows up, she just have another really dumb haircut, but still looks And then she's become Hannibal she's Lecter like, in a way. Yeah. This one where yeah. Like she's in that prison. And that whole star Wars conversation just like, doesn't really work and stuff like that. Being like, you're Yoda. Also, we're on the eve of Boba Fett, which I feel like no one cares about. <laughs> like, I know the only uh, like, the only thing I'm curious about. I just want to see the Sarlacc pit again. That's all yeah, I want. I'm, I'm gonna. I might. I've had a cold brew and a Coke Zero. It's eight o'clock. I might be up at three a.m. So I might just watch it. Um, well, we might have a review of the first episode, which I think is a good segue. We can talk about Hawkeye, but like, uh, anyways, F nine. Watch it with Nevis. Even halfway through the movie, Nevis was like. I don't know about this one. <laughs> like Nevis, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. No, it's and like, it's perfectly fine. I yeah. think, but I the, the the fast franchise at this point has peaked, and I think and like even with the space stuff, you you'd think, and it's still ridiculous and fun. Yeah, but I, like with five, it was kind of like this course correction and sort of going in a new direction that kind of surprised a lot of people, and 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 I do think that it is still the best of the franchise. And then 
it was like, okay, this is really unexpected. And, and, and it really is now being self-referential and irreverent to now a certain degree. Ex- oh, and all that stuff doesn't work either. No. Because going back to my point of being th- – what I love about Fast and Furious is that it's not a meta wink. We know this is kind of goofy. It's like, no, I want you to take it seriously. That's part of the charm is that soap opera kind of this is – Everyone in this movie believes that this is the fucking biggest franchise drama uh, action thing of, of the history of cinema. Like that's why I love it. So when you have Roman and Tej going like, are we invincible? Are we in a movie? Like wh- why can't I get shot? Is like, no, I don't want that. Like I don't, I don't want you to talk about that. No, I don't. I don't want you to wink at the audience and at the camera saying like, we get that this is silly. And Tyrese isn't that funny of an actor. I think Ludacris actually has some sort of moments of like, he's not a comic actor either, but like, I think he can play Mm. some of that like kind of deadpan better than Tyrese kind of being kind of a comedic foil in a way where Mm. like, I think even though I don't like Too Fast or Too Furious, I find Tyrese funnier in that movie because yeah. It, it, there's no self-awareness in that it, film. Yeah. John Singleton's movie is is playing it completely straight. Even though, I again, it it's a terrible played film. Straight. Played straight, but to 20 out of 10, right? That's yeah. what I want. I don't want the winks, and I don't want the kind of, we understand it's silly. Like, when some when Letty um, like lands on a car, like, I love the physics in that universe, where if you land on a car you're good. It's like a mattress. <laughs> like, like that's the type of ridiculousness I want where no well, one coming back, right? Or like her, her yeah, surviving. Or even it's... Han coming back feels so flaccid, which is so unfortunate. Like I, I just like, they, they blew their load with that in the trailer and they maybe should have learned. I know it came out before, but like even without spoiling any recent movie that came out, like even if everyone knows something's going to happen, maybe don't put it in the trailer just because you lose that moment for the movie. Even if every single person who is looking forward to the movie knows it's going to be in there. Like it's just, you know, we all thought, Oh, they're going to bring Han back. Even if the casting got put out there or whatever is like, why wouldn't you save that moment for the theater? Like, I just don't get it. And I feel like that, that moment is completely lost in the movie and it's very silly how they find him and stuff like that. It's just, and again, it's, retconning it's, his, I, I'm fine with retconning, but just go all out of like, they time travel back and save him or something like, or that, that he has a robot hand and an eye patch now. Yeah, like that, exactly. like just something really ridiculous. Like I, I, I and that's the you. type of self-aware that I can buy into because yeah. then you go, okay, we understand what the audience loves about this movie, this franchise. Let's go deeper into that. Not tell them, we know that you guys think this is ridiculous. Let's show them more ridiculous stuff. But everyone in the universe still takes it seriously. Like if Han showed up with a robot eye and a, and an arm and everyone's like, holy shit. Like I'd buy into that because the characters buy into that and go, oh my God. Mr. Nobody pulled him out of the fucking wreck and built his <laughs> cyborg man. Which I like, could buy. I, it could be almost yeah. like the better version of, of uh, Bloodshot. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, F9. An okay movie. I think the flashbacks are a lot of fun. Um, let's quickly, Eric, touch on because we brought up Book of Boba Fett. So we will probably have a reaction to the first 
um, episode. We didn't get so some another inside baseball thing. We didn't get screeners because they're trying to what they said hide the secrets of of the show, um, which to me goes, ooh, it might not be good. <laughs> That's the secret that they're trying to hide. Um, or there's like a big twist in the first episode or something like that. Although we did get the first couple episodes of Mandalorian, right? Which had the baby Yoda reveal or no? I think so. But we've mm. also gotten every Disney Plus series that has Except a connection to, you know, whether it be Marvel, Marvel or Star or Wars, Star Wars yeah. that has some sort of spoiler element. And we're respectful of the embargo and not ruining it. And, and I mean, we'll even be talking about Cobra Kai and being respectful of season four and sort of dancing around. Around, um certain plot reveals and things like that so yeah to your point it almost it almost feels like the the show maybe isn't up to snuff compared to what the mandalorian is and maybe and i don't want to why because we have no idea no like, this is a all lot speculative of times, because a lot of times you know it might just be that but they usually can hold us under an embargo unless they're really maybe they're worried because of leaks and other things that they don't want, you know, it will get out. Even if you show it to critics early, we've seen it with Spider-Man. We've seen it with time and time again, Eternals, other Marvel stuff. Well, any of any of the series, right? Like if you go on social media after, you know, the series has been posted, the new episode within the, the first hour, hour and a half, two (laughs) hours, you're going to have like Twitter <laughs> exploding with spoilers. And maybe, so I'm hoping it's less of a quality thing and more of whatever they're trying to hide is such an integral plot point of the show that you couldn't review it without talking about it. So they they went, okay, well, we don't want this to get out before you know the general audience gets to see it. Um, so let's just not give it to anyone. And that's interesting. So I'm excited. It's tonight, uh, whether it's 3 a.m. for us tonight or I wake up early tomorrow morning. And or 12 a.m. In, in, uh, in West Coast yes, uh, yeah. time. Um, I, it's just I feel like the hype level is just – and whether that's we've just had a, you know, such a, uh, you know – so many Marvel shows this year and, and different Disney things. That, well, like, also with Star Wars, right? Like, I feel like Star Wars, like, with the exception of We had of Visions Mandal- this year. But- yeah, but with the exception of The Mandalorian, I think Star Wars is at that point still where it's in a kind of resting phase, phase yeah. and, and, and transition where the future of that franchise is still somewhat undetermined. Yeah, it obviously hasn't, you know the mass success that the MCU has had, the Star Wars universe has not had that same kind of, you know, it, it's fumbled a little bit to be completely honest. Like, yeah, people loved Mandalorian season, you know, one and two, I think, and two even more than one. Um, but obviously the the sequel, the Abrams sequel movies and Ryan Johnson's movie devices. And Solo. And, and Solo, and and there are rumors that Solo might tie into this Boba Fett series, which might be the thing that they're hiding. But, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I love Star Wars. I know you're a big Star Wars guy, too, Eric. I think Visions was great earlier this year, but it's something that I don't think that many people watched. And, um, and feels like that the animated Star Wars content always feels like just secondary content. Like you don't need to watch it, but it's there if you like it. It's almost like expanded universe stuff. So like, 
but the the future of the live action stuff is really interesting and it almost looks like it will be on disney plus like the future of star wars looks like it's on disney plus at least for the foreseeable future because like we don't know what the next live action movie is going to be we thought it was going to be the um red the, squadron the patty jenkins Pat, series and then but you that had looks like Taika it's Waititi yeah. developing his film and then there was even talk of kevin, kevin feige, feige and chloe Zhao being rumored for that yeah so. and then you have the series like the next mm. kind of i guess big series would be the obi-wan, Obi-Wan. Ken- kenobi series and then also the one uh with uh diego luna um as well and then yeah. you even have things like uh um, you know the the series created by the the um, sort of series or showrunner of uh, uh, Russian, Russian dolls, dolls. The, uh, acolyte. The, the acolyte. Yeah, so it, it kind of feels like right now they're they're in this standstill when it comes to their features because it's like, do you start a new franchise and what does that mean? Because like, look at like what Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams kind of had to do with you know um you know post the last jedi and what star wars has become as well i mean star wars always had um a very passionate fan base but it has now become very toxic in how there's this entitlement where the fans feel like they're in complete control of it and they should dictate how a series should go and the last jedi kind of having that very polarizing response of you know some people loved it like we did where you know it was trying to do something new within sort of the framework of something that is so well known and established but then you had people that didn't like that because it wasn't quote-unquote star wars and was too woke or whatever and then you know you had jj abrams come back and that you know, the rise of Skywalker regresses and kind of felt so shoddy and it's, it's writing and I'm weirdly in the camp that likes all three of the sequel movies, but I'll be very curious. And I know I'm a, I'm rare. I'm like a unicorn when it comes to someone who actually just enjoyed all three of them for like the emperor has returned. That's really bad. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I Um, I like the rise of Skywalker. I don't, dislike it but i do yeah. feel that there's a lot of stuff in there that's very it's just sloppy and yeah it's and so if they had taken a little just, bit more time and i know i Harry just think Fisher they didn't know exactly away. what they wanted to do with those three sequel movies right like i feel like you had i don't know such a i think they had an star. idea i think i think i think there was this idea of where they were going but i think the last jedi threw things off because even again Ryan Johnson was another guy who was going to develop to do, his and own that looks like it just kind of faded away as well, right? And like, and now he's put his focus <clears throat> on the the knives, knives out, out, yeah, movies. So I don't know, dude. Yeah, like I, I I love Star Wars. I'm excited for Boba Fett, um, but my hype level is at like a. We'll see. I'm. I, I got a C first. It's at a I'm simmering six. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm looking forward to it, but I'm not like holy shit. Boba Fett is tomorrow. Even though like new Star Wars content, like we should be at an excitement level that's like up there. It's I, it's I, more I, like oh Boba Fett's tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Not like Boba holy Fett. Shit. Boba Fett. Where? And even the Marvel show. So moving over to that, like, okay, that, that ends the book of Boba Fett uh, segment. Um, and that but, ends that chapter. So talking about the Marvel stuff, like we're at a little bit of a, a 
which I think is a good thing, a break in Marvel stuff because like we just got Spider-Man No Way Home, which I think was such a high and like such the culmination. We you check out our both our spoiler cast and our review. We go really into detail about how it's a celebration of that character of Marvel movies, of superhero movies, of like Peter, it's, just, it's me, Flint Marco. I think it's very intentional that they were like, "Hey, let's leave a little bit of distance between Spider-Man and the next Marvel thing. Cause like, you know, we had a weird gap in 2020 because of the flux of theatrical and, and stuff like that. We had so many Marvel shows this year. And, and then we got so many Marvel movies as well that like you had Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Spider-Man, four Marvel Studios movies. And then you had WandaVision, loki falcon winter soldier what if um hawkeye am i missing no that's it right that like we've had so much this year that i'm almost like okay you know what i'm cool to wait until doctor strange to get any more i'm sure we'll get a disney plus series that's probably premiering what do you think february march there hasn't been has there been any announcements? Nothing announced yet, okay. but Ms. Marvel could come. You could see like because that was supposed to be this year. Remember, yeah, um, Moon Knight, She Hulk, Moon Knight, yeah, could be early Secret next Invasion. Year. I think is going to be twenty twenty three. Yeah, or late twenty twenty two. So, uh, do you think we get something before? So we just finished Hawkeye. Uh, quick impressions. I think we're both kind of. I've softened on it. I I, I still like it. Um, quite a bit, mostly because I think Haley Steinfeld is so great, and and Florence Pugh is great, and um, I, but I I think like the I I started to kind of I think it's in that Falcon and Winter Soldier area of like, you know, I it, it I liked it, I just don't really think it nailed everything, and it got a little bit messy at the end and felt rushed. Where I I feel weird that these Marvel shows have more runtime than most of the movies, but weirdly feel like they don't know what to do with it. And they're they... mostly filler or they're like, <laughs> they're the, the thing, the ongoing running sort of formula of this uh, series of Hawkeye almost felt like in the last three or four <laughs> episodes, you were getting like, you know, uh, cliffhangers where they're introducing a new character. And that was kind of like the big deal. Well, even mm. in, at the end of the second episode with Echo, right? Like it was yeah. almost like at the but end But then of you had too episode... much where you didn't know how to kind of tie all those loose ends up or what to do. And really it just felt like more setup. Yeah. And then you, without spoiling anything for people who might not have watched it yet, like they introduce a character in the second last episode, then that feels really rushed in the last episode. And then what they do with that character, I'm like, I know that's not what you're doing, but not everyone will know that. So it feels really weird to just like, that's how you deal with that. Even though you know that person is probably coming back for another series that's coming. It's just like, it just felt really sloppy a little bit. Like, or like it felt rewritten, like, like Falcon and Winter Soldier did where they like had other stuff or even that character that I'm mentioning. Um, feels like they probably weren't even part of the show originally, but then they put them in and then they just wanted them as set up. I, I don't know, man, but like I, and some I of the liked action it. scenes too. I think yeah. some of the action is creative. And then there are other moments where it is a little bit inconsistent with both the budget of the series and just sort of who is directing it. I, I as much as I didn't like 
or love the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I think the opening sort of action sequence in that is far better than anything that was in Hawkeye, with the exception of maybe just how sort of that yeah. one car chase was basically yeah. sort of constructed. But yeah. you're watching it and you can kind of tell like how, again, I don't like doing this because I feel like it's cheap, but like how digital it is at times. And yeah, when you're yeah, watching yeah. it, you're just kind of like, it does, it it, it cheapens the, 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 the experience because it does like... Part of it is like, okay, well, this is a sort of street level storyline that isn't about the world ending. And I like that. I do too, but I don't think it necessarily, you know, hits the bullseye in in, in that regard. Even when it comes to the villain, like having, you know, the man behind the curtain again, it was this person all along in the last episode just doesn't feel like it, you know, the tracksuit Dracula or mafia and this, like, they just feel like generic henchmen and then you know, with other reveals and things like that, like they, they're, they save so many twists and reveals for the last episodes of these shows that I feel like you don't have enough to kind of, you know, then pay off those reveals. Like you almost need to reveal them earlier so you can actually deal with it a little bit rather than trying to wrap everything up in one episode. And to your point, I think a lot of this, this (laughs) show, this series is all set up like it's all set up for a series Echo we know is coming or, yeah. and characters we know that will carry on in and that's what most of these marvel shows films i still think they're trying to figure out the marvel series because i i really did love wandavision and loki yeah. just because i feel like they were the most creative and different than what you were able to do in movies and then when you see something like falcon and winter soldier and hawkeye that feel very much like tried and true Marvel Studios action movies. Um, they just feel a little bit underwhelming because they do feel like what you're saying, where they're just a, a tee up for the future rather than being its own thing. Where Loki and WandaVision are that as well, but like I feel like the sitcom, you know, uh, setup of WandaVision was so creative and interesting and visually interesting that that has been my favorite thing. And it started off so strong. And then Loki with the time travel elements and the TVA and and the production design there. And like, um, I, I really loved everything in that series. And like, I really do love Kate Bishop uh, and I love Yelena and I I'm excited to see what their futures are in the MCU. But even reading that Matt Fraction, David Aha comic in the summer that is so stylish and so it takes so many interesting risks and, and artistic um, artistic risks and it's colorful and, and funny. And like, I didn't see a lot of that in the show. Like I saw that in the back and forth between Kate and, and Clint, but I never got that really kind of interesting visual style that you get in the comics and with using Lucky the pizza dog, like there's a whole comic where it just follows Lucky and like really weird kind of interesting things like that or visual cues and stuff like that. Like it just ran. I feel like I'm more negative on it than, than I actually am. Cause I did pretty much enjoy it uh, all the way through. And I still like it more than some of the lower tier Marvel stuff. Like, but I still kind of, feel like it falls in the middle somewhere and then what if so completely other thing where well it's it anthology just, right it where i hit think or miss each episode right yeah so um it's interesting uh and, and to your Studios point shows- I, I think an important thing to mention as well you look at wandavision and loki i think you can do more with those characters and sort of expanding their sort of 
meaning and understanding within the MCU than you can with Hawkeye and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think those characters are a little bit harder to kind of, you know, develop into fully fledged sort of, you know, individuals and not, I mean, again, like I understand Iron Man was a C-level character and what have you, but I just feel that there are certain Mm. limitations with some of these like B and C tier characters that if you put them in their own series, it just kind of feels more like a stepping stone to another movie or Falcon to Captain America. It was to get Kate Bishop to be the Hawkeye that we're going to see moving forward. Like uh, it's closure for, uh, you know, Black Widow because we never really got that at the end of Endgame. Like I get all that stuff. It's like, oh, let's bring in characters from other series or shows to set them up how they work in this universe and stuff like that. Like it, it again, I still think that they're, they're figuring it all out and I'll always be excited for the next Marvel series. Cause I think overall, um, it's it's great additional stuff for people who are really big fans of this universe. Like, I don't know if any of it is like required viewing when it comes to like the MCU. I, personally, I would say like WandaVision and Loki, those two series we mentioned, like do feel like that. And I'm very excited for Kang the Conqueror and like uh, Jonathan Majors and stuff like that. Like, and even Wanda being in Multiverse of Madness. Like, um, but I'm I'm intrigued. Like I think my the thing I'm most excited for because I think I'm running off the Spider-Man high is that animated Spider-Man series freshman year. And like I'm my theories are going wild now too. I'm like, does freshman your Spidey mean, sense is tingling? Is like I know they've said it's an origin story, but I'm like, could it be freshman year of college? Like is like I I doubt it. Like I feel like they'd keep that live action like to continue. Uh, but I'm like, how much story do you have? to tell from Peter's origin. Like we got him, I think pretty soon after, you know, Tony Stark saw him like doing friendly neighborhood Spider-Man stuff in that old costume, right? Like how much origin do we have? We have one year of school essentially, right? Or one that he was, but it doesn't have to be origin at this point. Like it can just be sort of, almost episodic in a film way where it's just, you know, hanging out with Spider-Man for a bit, him fighting a villain that either has been established (laughs) in the franchise or bringing in someone new, or you can just, again, like I think at this point where that series is going, it's just a way to kind of maybe even bring in other characters that have been hinted at or, you know, based on like the response that Spider-Verse has gotten. I mean, I'm sure like, like I would be, I'll be really interested to see how Spider-Verse Part 1, or or Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, maybe influences the next trilogy of live-action Spider-Man movies. Because I could see them doing something similar where you have Tom Holland's, you know, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man getting sucked into the multiverse in some way or another and going from various versions like what is being hinted at in across the spider verse. Yeah. I I think I could even see Tom Holland showing up in part two of that movie or part one, but like, um, it'll be interesting where they leave that character, which I don't want to say, but like, I'm just very intrigued freshman year. I just love Spider-Man animated shows too. Cause it reminds me of that nineties one. And they've done so many different versions 
some better than others, but like an animated Marvel studio Spider-Man show sounds really fun to me. So I think that's like the one thing that I'm like really, really looking forward to. I don't know when we'll get it. It'll probably be 2023, but um, intrigued about the future there on Disney plus too. I think Eric, um, you saying across the spider verse is a good segue for our big topic of the show, which is the untitled, which everyone, I know everyone's been looking forward to it. Cause it, like we said, we do it every year and you know, everyone's like, man, I got to see what Matt and Eric are saying. The most anticipated movies of next year. Because everyone they, who is yeah. this? Everyone. Um, putting on the show notes right now. Yeah. Everyone is excited for Matt and Eric. Uh, We'll cover trailers and stuff as we, I think we talk about some of these movies instead of doing a full trailer segment because some of them we do have trailers for. Oh, I will Um, say this though as well with the Marvel stuff. Like you said that like, it's good that we have a break, but I I laugh that we're not even acknowledging Morbius. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Which I guess you're making a good point that because of Vulture showing up, which I'm... I think that's what I'm most intrigued by. And then like, and even some of the stuff of seeing like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man on the wall, but says murderer and then having Vulture show up in the trailer. I'm like, did Morbius's universe get all fucked up by Dr. Strange's spell? Is that what's happening there? Like, um, or does this or take place in, in, in the Sam Raimi's universe universe? And then, but then Vulture exists. Cause I guess some characters could exist in both, right? Like it doesn't necessarily, mean that it has to be a different actor as that villain or or something like that but that's also Um, the funny thing about both morbius mm. and uh uh, the flash movie uh coming out is that both of those movies i have really no interest in with the exception of michael michael keaton yeah which is why you're looking forward to it right yeah because i can't believe morbius were spoilers it will not show up in our most anticipated of 2022 um but we're getting you know morbius I thought was going to be the first quote unquote big movie, but I forgot about scream weird time for scream to come out, but like, um, which also doesn't show up on our list just cause it's too early. I am very looking forward to scream, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. No mention of Morbius anywhere in the, it, I don't really count that. Right. All. But it, but it still has, I mean, like I wouldn't be surprised if there's going to be something that adds to, the conversation, um, well, afterwards, yeah, whether it's I think a post credit scene in it, or, yeah, it has to add to that conversation, right? Because again, not a spoiler for No Way Home, but Vulture is nowhere to be found, right? Like we just right. assume he's still in prison, but he's not in the movies. And then also thinking like Mahershala Ali mm-hmm. has been cast as Blade, and in the '90s animated series, the the big component there with the story thread is that Morbius and Blade have always kind of been connected because Blade you know, comes to New York to track down Morbius in that nineties animated series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll see, man. We don't have to wait long. I actually kind of liked Morbius, the character in the nineties series. I've got nothing against the character per se. I just don't think one, I don't think they need Jared Leto and I don't, and two, yeah. Individually, you don't need, no, I I'd prefer these to be Spider-Man villains. Right. Yeah. Okay. Eric, let's look back. Let's go back. It's last December. The world is on fire just like it is right now. Um, and we make our most anticipated films of 2021 list. We had some car- a lot of carryover from 2020 because of everything. You know, no movies came out basically for the second half of the year. Um, and one that's the three years year. running consecutively. And we will have one that is on a-, a couple of them. Some got bumped off. 
So they were most anticipated this year, but we have other movies that kind of took their spot for 2022. But I want to quickly, before we get into the most anticipated movies of 2022, I want to look back at what we had on our list in 2021 and how we feel about that list. We don't necessarily have to rank them. We probably will put up a ranking on Letterboxd, but like, um, I will say weirdly, there's one movie on here that I didn't even end up seeing just because it got lost in the shuffle of things. And probably because of the reaction was mixed on it and stuff too. But, um, let's go through, we've already talked about one of them and we've talked about a couple of them at length already in this show, but we'll go over it as a whole and see kind of were we right of being excited about these movies or were we wrong? Um, so our most anticipated films of 2021, what we had on our list last year, we had T10, Annette, Candyman, The Card Counter, Last Night in Soho, Dune, No Time to Die, The Eternals, French Dispatch, Benedetta, The Green Knight, F9, Blonde, The Northman, Spiral, the unbearable weight of massive talent, um, three thousand years of longing, uh, Apollo ten and a half, a space age childhood, false positive, licorice pizza, and triangle of sadness. Um, Ooh, look, there's a couple on there. <laughs> so interesting stuff here. So triangle of sadness, Apollo ten and a half, uh, three thousand years of longing, unbearable weight of massive talent. The Northman and Blonde all did not make it this year. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six films out of our 21 that did not make this year. So we took some gambles going, we think these movies are coming this year, or they were rumored to be coming this year, but they ended up getting pushed. Uh, Blonde now for the third year in a row, um, <clears throat> getting pushed to the next year. Um so that's the first step of this list, and you'll see if they make our 2022 list. So those get kind of wiped out. Um, yeah, there's a few here um, that did not live up to the hype. I think um, F9, we just talked about, is one of those movies that kind of didn't completely land for us. The Eternals, I think, is a big one that, you know, we were like, oh, Chloe Zhao doing a Marvel movie. Those are two things that I really enjoy. Those coming together should work really, really well. Um, it unfortunately did not. Um, I think last year's spiral from the book of saw was my kind of meme pick of like a very matte pick that has no business being with these other movies, but I'm going to put it on anyway. Um, you know, with our reviews, it ended up averaging out being, you know, you gave it a two, I gave it a four. So it ends up being a three on our list. So, you know, it, I think it pretty much landed how we expected it to land. I gave it a two and a um, half. I think oh, two actually, and a half. Okay. I think it was the best Saw movie. Oh, I think that's why I leaned towards a three instead. Yeah. Or Yeah. So there you go. That actually worked out in our favor. Uh, I would say Dune was probably our biggest disappointment, right? Like that yeah. was a no-brainer for being on our list for most anticipated. And I think, again, notoriously was one of our um, biggest disappointments of this year. Um, Annette being another one that I liked, but was a big disappointment for you. I think Candyman again, I liked, but big disappointment for you. Benedetta. Um, Benedetta, uh, another one that I think we were both kind of mixed on. Like, 
you you liked it a little bit less than I did, but I the more I've sat on it, the more I'm just kind of indifferent and actually don't really care for the movie that much. Um, <clears throat> French Dispatch, um, I think both of us didn't hate it, but you know felt like again anthology like some sequences worked better than others but as a whole package it just kind of didn't land last night in soho i think we both liked but didn't love um yeah. thought it kind of fell apart in that last act and didn't really stick the landing but the style and music and, and performances were really really great um <clears throat> card counters one that i still haven't seen i do want to watch it i have a screener and i've been meaning to i just haven't gotten around to it it's it's good um, not great but i will say this the longer i i there like oscar isaac is amazing in that film like there 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 are scenes in that movie where like if it wasn't paul schrader and based on how paul schrader is online i think that he would be someone in the oscar conversation uh, oscar isaac uh, it, that performance is just so good in the same way that ethan hawk is amazing but i just feel first reformed was such a stronger representation of what paul schrader the best of what paul schrader is in terms of like the man in the room writing something before sort of like that slow burn you know ascension to something really dark kind of exploding and yeah. and it does that here as well and i like it but it does it in a way that kind of feels a little bit like it is almost like a footnote after yeah. first reform but again it's still a solid character study and i think oscar isaac is amazing in the film yeah uh, T10, we both uh, uh, really enjoyed out of TIFF. Um, you a little bit more than me, um, but I still yeah. really dig it. Um, what else am I missing here? That I think that pretty much covered Green Knight. We both really, really liked um, Licorice Pizza. Uh, you loved. I really liked it uh, with some concessions, um, but still think it's a, a very well-made movie. Um and that's kind of uh, rounds at the list. So I think our batting average here, like what we really liked or, or loved, Licorice Pizza, Green Knight, uh, No Time to Die, I would put on that of living up to our expectations of being uh, really good, uh, and T10. The rest, kind of a mixed bag, right? <laughs> like, Well, especially, um, like I would say just even disappointing. Like the idea yeah. of, of Denis Villeneuve striking out the way he did. I mean, that's something we didn't even talk about is that, you know, Jean-Marc Vallée um, oh, passed yes, away. Actually, and, yeah. um, I meant know, to bring that up. Yeah. But we had I mean, so we can, I think maybe on. we can talk about it more on the year in review uh, yeah. episode, but um, as a big moment that happened this year, right at the tail end there. Yeah. <sighs> Man, that caught me off guard, dude. Yeah. Like, I I texted you that night, and when you were probably not feeling great, I was um, watching Drive and, My Car, which is also yeah. weirdly like it was just weird watching something that was about, you know, closure and remorse and, yeah. and sort of like the idea of like trying to find <laughs> or trying to articulate what that all means. And then you know, when I got your text, I read it to Kyle, and Kyle and I were just like. It was one of those things where I had to do a double take. Like the Chadwick Boseman thing was probably the last time, uh, you know, where I was like really like when you're just not expecting something at all. Um, yeah, just a huge, a huge bummer. Um, just really, really sad. But um, we and, will and talk guy, about it more. Yeah, yeah, and a guy like who just really 
you know, was only just getting started within sort of the Hollywood system, you know, and, and like right now, if, 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 you know, people living in Canada, uh, you can uh, rent or buy uh, his amazing, John Mark Vallée's amazing coming of age movie set in Montreal, Crazy, uh, which got a restored, uh, remastered version of it uh, that played theatrically, I think, mostly in Quebec, but a little bit in um, other parts of Canada, but it is now available on iTunes in Canada. And it is a phenomenal movie. And then you look at that first season of Big Little Lies, you yeah. look at Dallas Buyers Club. You, I mean, I know you did uh, the press I junket for Wild. Wild. Yeah. yeah, I loved Wild. I know mixed from some people. But yeah, I, I, from that crew of, of uh, French-Canadian filmmakers that was starting to kind of break through in Hollywood and just absolutely crush it and just uh, uh, really sad. I haven't uh, I haven't heard more information, not that I'm... In terms again, of ha- what, uh, what, what actually happened. happened yeah. yeah. Um, just really, really unfortunate stuff. But um, let's let's talk about it a little bit more in his career when we do the year in review. But yeah, but um, still worth mentioning, I think. I absolutely agree, and thank you for bringing it up. Um, but yeah, with Dune, I think again, I'm I'm open to giving it a, a, a rewatch. You haven't seen it since we saw it at TIFF either, right? No, I or haven't, have and I think yeah. I'll wait until part two comes out because yeah. again, like we've talked about it, it's it's basically a prologue, and it's only this small fraction of an entire story it's the being first told. act <laughs> so how can how can you judge you know like it's not it's not a self-contained story and i think that's why it fails is because it can't it in my opinion and i think in yours it doesn't stand alone you, you can't basically say that this movie is its own film you know it, it's no. a part of something where like you could say like okay well there are other movies like you know kill bill volume one or two or, or things yeah. like that well but i put kill bill volume one in the same boat though of that i would say it's the first half of one movie and i i consider those one film right but i did find that with the kill bill movies it was easier to look at volume one as its own thing and volume two I think as when its they own came thing. out i, I I think I was like that and others were, but as I've gone back and now that you have the full story and that, you know, it was intended as one film. And he even says, you know, look at when he, when the filmmaker goes, this is that blank film by, you know, it's kind of pompous, but like by Tarantino that like, it is one movie. And I feel like Dune should be, you know, in that same category of like, you know, this is planned one of three. So like, right. It's just, I, but I, you look I at Star to... Wars though, or Lord of the Rings. Like Lord of the Rings is like the obvious comparison yeah. as well, where like it feels like those Lord of the Rings movies, like each one, yes, sure. like you, you need all three to kind of complete the story, but each film kind of stands feels on their self-contained. Own. Yes, where I don't think that this did that. Like that's why you it was called Part One and not Dune colon whatever you wanted to call it, right? Like it's not, you know, we made the same kind of in our review for people who didn't listen to it i'm like the the analogy i said was like yeah it's a puzzle piece but it's a complete puzzle that's part of a bigger puzzle that's what it should be where this feels like literally you cut a puzzle into three and you only got the first third of the puzzle it's like there's two different ways of doing it i just don't think it succeeds as you know a singular film but i am open to giving it another shot so i I will give it another shot and I will reevaluate it both before part two comes out and after part two comes out. So, but yeah, the list is uh, overall um, 
I feel like maybe we we missed more than we hit, and I don't know whether that's saying like expectations play into these things or you know it just didn't you know work out for a lot of the stuff we were excited for and i don't even think any of it is i don't think we swung and missed by like a lot because i think even the stuff that we didn't care for i think is the best word for it like eternals dispatch annette Candyman to an extent for you i mean i really liked Candyman, even though i've softened on it well it's like my love for t10 versus Um, you admiring or licorice pizza right but but then even like false positive which is not very good there's another one but but then also you have to consider okay well not everything on our list was even released and there are six films that weren't so you know that kind of also reduces that sort of average a little bit and and you have to kind of take Mm. that into consideration when looking at like you know, that final percentage or, or how we did overall, because, you know, we were thinking like all these movies would be released. And there's obviously some situations where things get delayed for obvious reasons, but there were more movies that were delayed partly because we're still living in a pandemic. Yeah. And that's understandable. Uh, you want to get into what we're going to put on the list this year? Oh yeah. Let's do it. Um, okay. So Eric and I spent a good, what, hour, hour and a half before the show, um, putting together, um, what are 22 films. So we get an extra slot this year and we're going to probably keep doing that just cause that's, you know, where I like the symmetry of that for the year that this is coming out. So, um, to kick it off, like these are in no particular order. They're kind of by release date, but then we just threw different things in there to try to make this list of 22 films. Um, we'll start with honorable mentions and you'll see a few things that were on our list last year are no longer on the list this year. They got bumped off for other movies, um, and then fall in our honorable mentions. Eric, do you just want me to go through the honorable mentions and kind of talk about it? So, on our honorable mentions, we have The Eternal Daughter, Mission Impossible 7, 3,000 Years of Longing, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Lightyear, The Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Babylon, Peter Pan and Wendy, Next Goal Wins, Knives Out 2, The Gray Man, Infinity Pool, Argyle, Kimmy, she said, Spaceman, Asteroid City, and Apollo 10 and a half, a space age childhood. <clears throat> so a few things on here uh, to kick it off. You'll see that Apollo 10 and a half got bumped off as well as 3000 years of longing got bumped off the list that were on our most anticipated of last year. But when we were putting this together, we just decided, you know what? We're still excited for those movies. We want to give them an honorable mention. I think this list of honorable mentions is also looks like a banger list of most anticipated movies. It does. So like, so that's, I think like what excites me. And I feel like talking about, we'll talk about the best movies of this year on next week's show. Um, but I feel like it was an underrated year for movies where, you know, we talked about, how our most anticipated list didn't necessarily work out, but I'm struggling trying to find, you know, a top 25 of the year, not struggling to find, sorry, that was weird wording. I mean, I'm struggling to only have 25 movies that I want to put on that list. 
Like they're like, I've found that we had a lot of really, really good movies this year that kind of went under the radar. Um, so this list looks like a great list of movies, even not that stuff that didn't make our top 22. So like things like mission impossible seven, which was a last minute kind of, we couldn't fit it on the list. Like, and I think that's because it's the seventh movie in a franchise and we're like, yeah, we're really, really excited for it. Eric, you made a great point of being like, can you even top um, Fallout? Like, I am I hope they can, and they only have shown that they keep getting crazier and more entertaining. Um, something like Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, talking about big movies. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of the Doctor Strange character, which is, I think, why you'll see a couple other superhero movies make the cut and not Doctor Strange, even though I think that movie has the potential to be something massive um spielberg's the fablemans like it's steven spielberg he's a legend like usually his movies would be like an automatic you got to put it on the list but i think there's some other filmmakers that we just are really really pumped for um even someone like uh you know babylon from damien chazelle chazelle's been hit or miss for me i love la la land didn't love first man like so um I think there's just certain Peter Pan and Wendy from um, David Lowry, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. So like uh, Taika Waititi has two movies. So we only put one Taika Waititi movie on there, not the other one. Uh, anything else you want to point out here? We have, you know, the gray man, which is from the Russo brothers, which we were like, we hated cherry, even though I love their MCU stuff. So I can't put that on the list for that. Um, you know, the Wes Anderson, we just talked about um, our reaction to his last movie, which I think maybe went, okay, maybe we don't need to put the next Wes Anderson movie on the list. Um, Lightyear, uh, Pixar, you'll see a different Pixar movie pop up on our list. So we kind of just wanted, you know, representation stuff of being like, well, let's just put one Pixar movie on the list. And like Lightyear, I'm, I'm very, very excited for Lightyear, but it feels like maybe a bit more conventional than uh, some of their other stuff. Anything else you wanted to point out from that? Yeah, I, I think with the, uh, the Eternal Daughter, um, Joanna Hogg has made two of the best movies in the last couple of years with The Souvenir Part 1 and 2. Um, and I think that, you know, we were talking about like Dune not being able to stand on its own. I think uh, The Souvenir Part 2, even if you haven't seen Part 1, um, is even better than the first half, but also elevates the first movie quite a bit. And so for that, I'm really excited to see The Eternal Daughter and her working with Tilda Swinton uh, once again. And, um, you know, it, it's that kind of cautious optimism where it's a project that I believe shot sort of right after or during um, The Souvenir Part 2 or came together around that time. So you know, whether or not that that uh, actually sort of is something more than just maybe like something that's a little bit more intimate and smaller. I, I'm I'm very excited to check that out um, with the Daniels coming back with Michelle Yeoh. I think that's going to be exciting with uh, everywhere um, all the time. Uh, and 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 so, like, you know, with that, you you have something really uh exciting there and, and and it's an earlier release i think that's something as well that kind of weighed on our minds where you know you have these earlier films in the year and it's like how many movies do you want to put out that or, or put on a list that are you know from january to like say april or may and then like how much do you want to put on the list that is sort of relatively unknown in terms of um when its release date is is going to be sort of on there but also just thinking about like okay, well, 
you know, you want to have as much as you can that is that you don't know anything about because you want to take more of a risk when it comes to um, picking stuff that is more of a, a gamble. As Matt Chews is. Uh... I'm back. I got a granola bar. Yeah. I was up. Thanks for vamping. Um, okay. I swallowed. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree with everything you were just saying. So let's get into this year's list. Do you want me to just go through it all? We can talk about it. Or do yeah, you sure. Go yeah. And... Just read through it. Then we can kind of just talk about it. So here are the 22 movies that we are really pumped for or are most anticipated of next year. Um, for the third year in a row, Blonde. Then we have The Northman, Bones and All, White Noise, Triangle of Sadness, Jackass Forever, The Batman, Thor Love and Thunder, Nope, Don't Worry Darling, Women Talking, Spider-Man Across the Spider- <coughs> Spider-Verse. Part one, <laughs> choked up, so excited. Turning red, Super Mario Brothers, poor things, the killer, killers of the flower moon, the whale, men, disappointment boulevard, the zone of interest, and crimes of the future. Eric, kick it off. What do you think of the list as a whole? Or what uh, movies did you want to? Well, bring I up? think Super Mario Brothers kind of you know says it all with with you know putting that that's my spiral of this year yes just so i had to get there's one movie every year where i'm like this has no business uh i mean some people it will it is genuinely on my most anticipated list just because like i I, again i'm not even i i don't even like illumination like the studio um for the most part but uh i hate the minions (laughs) um but I am weirdly, like, morbidly curious about Super Mario Brothers. So I had to kind of, it feels weird, like, bumping, you know, something like one of any of those movies we brought up in the honorable mentions for Super Mario Brothers. But it is that one pick where I'm like, I, ha- I have to put this on our official stamp of approval list just to see how it ends up. Yeah, I, I I think that like you know you have to have that balance of both kind of like a curated personality behind you know the list kind of peeking through and that you know perfectly represents as you mentioned you know your your spiral choice of the year um, and also just the controversy behind it of Italian American actor Chris Pratt cast as uh, Mario. <laughs> I can't stop my excitement for it. <laughs> what do you pump for? Well, I mean it's it's interesting because like. Again, obviously all of it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it's interesting because we we just got the trailer for the Northman, and even though I I like the trailer and I've seen and I've watched it a few times, and and I really love the witch, and you know I I respected the lighthouse more than I loved it from a technical point of view. I was surprised by how kind of conventional the trailer for the Northmen was. And again, it's just a trailer. It's marketing, obviously trying to get as many people into the theater as possible, but it, it did look like a riff on the Revenant and not as maybe sort of, sort of weird or surreal as I was thinking a Robert. That Eggers... one Willem Dafoe scene is pretty dope though. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, you know, Willem Dafoe also appears or is going to be in uh, the Yorgos Lanthimos movie, um, uh, poor, uh, poor things, which I think is going to be another one of those movies where like at the end of the year, 
I mean, that idea of like taking the kind of Frankenstein story and doing something really warped and twisted with it um, will be exciting. But yeah, just watching that trailer, I was like, oh, this is more conventional than I was thinking it would be. But again, it's only representative of the marketing. It's not necessarily yeah. the film. Well, I think the marketing has to be a little bit more conventional, but I still think that trailer rips and I'm very excited for it. But um, I've thought all of Eggers trailers have been, you know, pretty good. Uh, but yeah, Northman, I'm, I'm all in for, uh, blonde being the third year. We like, we had, we just, we couldn't bump it off because it's like, well, it was there the last two years. It's got to come out this year. And all the rumors we've heard about it being like, uh, NC 17 uh, rated and know, Andrew Dominic kind of fighting with Netflix like an art house movie. Yeah. And you know, this kind of being a big movie for Ana de Armas, who's playing Marilyn Monroe. And also just that being fascinating because she is a Cuban American, actor and thinking like okay like what kind of movie is this going to be is this going to be a traditional biopic or is this going to be something that's a little bit more unconventional in terms of its structure knowing uh you know andrew uh, dominic's other movies like the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford or chopper or killing them softly it probably is going to go in a direction that is very unexpected yeah everything we've heard was that he showed it to Netflix and they were like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> so that makes me excited. Uh, I agree with you on Northman bones and all, which is the cannibal movie from, um, uh, Luca Guadagnino. Yeah. Which, uh, very intriguing. Uh, we got white noise on there, which is the Noah Baumbach movie. Is yes. So one? Noah yeah. Baumbach, uh, it's another Netflix film. Uh, yeah. it reunites him with Adam driver and Greta Gerwig. And it's based on Don DeLillo's, uh, novel of the same name. And for, uh, people that love Don DeLillo, you'll probably remember, uh, that David Cronenberg adapted his, uh, Cosmopolis, um, which was kind of a, a middling movie, but at the same time, something very unconventional. And so it'll be exciting to see what Bombach does with DeLillo's work and, and where that could possibly go. Because Underworld's another one of his books that I know for a number of years, you've had filmmakers trying to tackle as both a feature film and as a series. And that is another one that, you know, if if White Noise is successful, maybe there'll be this renaissance period of don delillo adaptations now because i feel like cosmopolis was that movie where it was like you know cronenberg was tackling this idea of like this you know affluent sort of young guy who you know goes on this weird odyssey to get a haircut and like that's literally the whole movie um, it. but it didn't really work but it was still fascinating and speaking of cronenberg i think <clears throat> personally for myself the film that I'm looking forward to the most is, you know, the director who, you know, when you talk about body horror, you, you, the, the phrase being coined is Cronenbergian is David Cronenberg returning. Cause his last movie was uh, the very underwhelming maps of the stars and him doing something that is kind of maybe more in his wheelhouse uh, again with uh, crimes of the future and, you know, bringing in people like, Kristen Stewart and Viggo Mortensen, who's worked with him, you know, three times previously and Leah Seydoux and it being shot in Greece, but also including again, sort of body horror elements. And also, you know, you mentioned uh, his son in the honorable mentions with an infinity pool. We could get two David Cronenberg or two Cronenberg uh, movies in one year that are both being released by neon in the U S love it. Yeah, seeing him return is is so so exciting. So I'm very excited for that too. 
Another one, uh, Triangle of Sadness, is a carryover <clears throat> from this year, um, which is the Ruben Ostland uh, movie about um, basically, I think, some people who are like shipwrecked on an island, right? And then like uh, has Harris Dickinson, um, who you taught, you just recently talked to him for the Kingsman, right? And I asked him about this as well. So I asked him <laughs> specifically, like, what can people expect from the Triangle of Sadness? And he was literally like, I have no idea. Like literally we were making this movie and it was all over the place, but exciting to do. And he said, it's like from the point of view of two models that kind of like, you know, this hierarchy on the ship and sort of, you know, like who it, it just, it sounded, it sounded so out there. And, and, and from everything that even like Ruben Austin has posted online, like there was this behind the scenes footage of like projectile vomiting, or it was this like, okay, whatever this is going to be, I always bring up that interview I did with him for Force Majeure, but he was one of my favorite people to talk to. He was just so nice and so enthusiastic. <clears throat> and I'll never forget asking him about the the accordions like music that was in Force Majeure. And he's like, you'll never believe what that is. He's like, and then he pulled up his phone and pulled out YouTube and like showed me that video of this kid playing that song on the accordion. And uh, he's just like, I just ripped that music and put it in the movie i'm like what no he's like no it's literally the music from that youtube video and i'm like that is incredible and also and he shoots everything at least with force majeure he shot everything in wide yeah. and then in in post-production in the, the editing square room, is great too he zoomed in on things for close-ups and stuff like that so i find that even really oh like digital zoom stuff. yeah for, yeah that's interesting and yeah the square is great too so like i can't wait to see uh uh, and it's got Woody Harrelson in it as well. So. <laughs> you love it. Um, into our bigger like Hollywood movies and, and stuff like that. We have Jackass Forever, which is, I think, another one of those picks like Super Mario Brothers, where I don't know if it'll show up on many people's most anticipated lists. But for Matt and Eric, it's got to be on there because like I, it's part nostalgia, part just like guilty pleasure, but not even guilty. I just like genuinely enjoy the Jackass movies. There's something like primal and and hilarious and visceral about just those movies and like it's i think it's escapism at its finest where it's just like okay um and it was such like an important part of my like growing up jackass was like i remember you know not a great thing but like making my own jackass videos with my friends and stuff like that which is definitely what you were not supposed to be doing um meeting uh johnny knoxville at the premiere of um jackass 3 in toronto because i think that was like right it was one i remember one of the first like big events i went to as a quote-unquote film critic it was like um like when i was first starting out because when did jackass 3 come out like was it 2010 or 2011? I think it was the same year as Piranha 3. Yeah, something like that. But I remember getting invited to the Jack S3 premiere and the after party was at the Hard Rock, which is now a shopper's drug mart um, on the corner of Young and Dundas. Makes sense. And so it's funny, whenever I'm up on that upper floor of that shopper's drug mart, like buying a water or a cherry Coke or something, I'm like, I remember partying with with uh, Jeff Tremaine and Johnny Knoxville on this floor of the Shoppers Drug Mart, which was a hard rock of them. Like he pulling pulling out his credit card and buying like 
tequila shots for everyone but making them squirt the the lime or lemon in their eye instead of like sucking on the afterwards and like just ridiculous and i have these weird photos of like uh my friend my old friend ryan like holding johnny knoxville like a baby um and like it was just he's genuinely like a lot of fun and and it seemed very like he just actually gives a shit about it. and i they're so like i can't believe that them at their age are is doing this that stuff they're still doing like, this and i i it's like <laughs> it's awful but i'm like very excited to just go in i hope at that time we can have like a jam-packed theater <clears throat> and i don't even know if a press screening will do that movie justice but no but but also like i a... mean like it's like a mission impossible movie because i think like the way that those movies are structured around yeah, sort of one up the the stunts yeah like it's it's fascinating to see like how extreme they'll go but even the one i think the most effective ones are are the things like the paper cuts i think those oh. are the more Ugh. sort of cringy moments the sweat than the yes. sweat milkshake and stuff oh like my god like that like that's worse than being sort of oh, catapulted yeah. or, or that like, stuff is genuinely funny where the paper cut and the are just like holy like <laughs> visceral visceral things that are just etched into my um into my mind but i also um, think that they've got those movies get better with like i think the third one is so well done like that movie is, yeah. is i and the I, best use of 3d like yeah. i think yes 100 like, percent. Like, like in a long time i remember that being like oh shit that's actually worth like they shot it all with 3d cameras and like um giant 3d yeah. dildos coming at your face <laughs> <laughs> uh let's go into the trio of superhero movies we put on the list so um, we put on, uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman, which we did get a trailer for another trailer for as well. Like we did with the Northmen, uh, Thor love and thunder, uh, Taika Waititi's follow up to, uh, Thor Ragnarok, one of our favorite MCU movies, uh, which is also going to include the guardians of the galaxy. Um, and then Spider-Man across the spider verse part one. And then you go, Matt, Eric, don't do this again. You put Dune part one on there. And and you said it was half of a movie, and um, here's the thing, everyone. Fuck you, one. <laughs> uh, two, um, Spider-Verse, I think that was a, a shock during that trailer where we, we saw the part one. Um, it had one movie for the setup But it was up front, already. though, compared to yeah. Dune, right? Where the Dune yeah. trailers never had Dune part, part one, one come up. They had it, they surprised you as the movie started. Um, I... Yeah, Dune should have always been marketed as Dune Part 1. Um, and Spider-Man being split into two movies, like, again, I might be in the same boat where I might enjoy Part 1 of Spider-Man more than I enjoyed Part 1 of Dune at the time because maybe my expectations are in check. Um, but I might not... We'll see if it feels like a complete movie or if it feels like half of a movie and we'll have to wait till Part 2 to get, like, much like Kill Bill, of the two parts of one movie. Um but Spider-Verse, uh, the first one is one of probably my favorite superhero movie and just like one of my favorite animated movies and just movies in general where I, that movie never gets old. Whenever it's on, I could watch the entire thing. And I think it's so funny and so clever and just like <clears throat> just been beautiful. The animation style that Sony has continued with movies like Mitchell's versus the machines, which feels like we talked about four hours ago, but um I think Sony has developed their own animation style and just, it kicked it off with that movie. And I'm so excited for uh, a follow-up. 
Uh, with Thor, yeah, again, I, I, I think the Thor movies really turned around with Ragnarok, and I just think Taika is so funny and bringing in the Guardians, and um, you know, hopefully Korg has a bigger role, and having Christian Bale come into the MCU as a villain of Gore the God Butcher is like a lot of fun. So, uh, pump for that. And then the speaking of Christian Bale going over to the Batman for a new version of Batman with from Matt Reeves, like I think if you guys haven't watched Matt Reeves planet of the apes movies because you're like eh. like i feel like a, those movies they made a good amount of money and they were big but i still feel like they kind of go under the radar like not a lot of people paid attention to them and they are fucking awesome they're well, so most good. of his career though i feel like mm-hmm. let me in is actually a surprisingly good remake of yeah. let the right one in with both taking what kind of made that swedish movie so singular within the 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 horror genre and the vampire genre but also doing its own thing and then even with you know cloverfield like cloverfield that first movie i think gets taken for granted to a certain degree and and does things that obviously kind of brought back the found footage kind of franchise into the 2000s and and again as as just a monster movie he understood what he was doing there and so you know like i'm i'm very excited for whatever he does and obviously he's a franchise guy and and as much as i like jj abrams i feel matt reeves is the more creative one of that group of guys where i love abrams too but like but abrams you can tell is more so like a really good producer he's the company man where reeves feels like and reeves is to an extent as well like you mentioned like he is a franchise guy now but um I feel like, yeah, he, he does feel like he ha- takes more artistic risks um, or like he's making franchise filmmaking, but trying to do it in an artful way that still like there are some great shots or Michael Giacchino's scores feel like inspired when he's working with Matt Reeves as well. Like, um, which is something we talked about when we talked about Spider-Man of like well, War of the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. That score is incredible. And just there's some sequences in, in both of his apes movies that like single take sequences or just the emotion that you get from Caesar and the apes and just like the pacing of those movies and the action sequences are just like really, really fucking excellent. Like war of the planet of the apes is a great, like, you know, almost apocalyptic movie. And like, it's it, they, they rule. And like you said, he's kind of feels like a super underrated filmmaker that like, I feel like, you know, people do know of him and, and I think people are excited for the Batman because of him. But like, I still feel like there's a whole group of people that if you, he's not like a household name, I don't think like to most. Or he's, he's not in that kind of upper echelon of like, when you think of like great blockbuster filmmakers who are working today, like he kind of rides that line between the artistic and commercial in such a manner where it's like, he's this interesting hybrid and, and like when watching that like one car accident in let me in and how that plays out and you see some of that in the the batman trailer too exactly and like (sighs) those are the moments that set him apart from someone like say jj abrams who is a guy who you know like has a love of you know filmmaking and the genre and can make a really fun entertaining movie (sighs) but it he doesn't always necessarily build upon what he's sort of referencing where it feels like Matt Reeves, like JJ, like with super eight, for example, like obviously he's taking a lot from Spielberg, who's yeah. obviously his biggest influence, but it doesn't feel like there's 
a lot there in his movies that define who J.J. Abrams is as an artist. Other than slick, like yeah, and the and the lens flare thing, but the lens flare, sure. like even in like I mean, they're used in tons of movies, so it's not necessarily just his style. Oh, isn't that like a, who's his cinematographer? Dan Mandel is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, Dean Cundey was doing that in like you know Cundey. Speaking of Cundey, he shot a thing. bunch of Boba Fett. Boba yeah. Fett. I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that makes me excited. Like something yeah. like Dean Cundy, who I feel like has just been, I remember screenshotting what he's been doing lately and going, what happened? <laughs> well, he was um, at, he was at TIFF a few years ago doing like um, uh, a workshop for, for cinematographers. And like the last, I think big movie he did, which was I think Jack and Jill, the Adam Sandler film. Um. I'm and then other than that, he's been now. doing like a lot of TV going, movies. We're going on a tangent, everyone, but commercials he did and stuff like Anastasia that. once upon a time, home again, slamma jamma. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> um, the girl in the photographs, which Ugh. you saw at TIFF. Yeah, you walked um, out of that one. I left. Yeah. I, the last thing you would recognize from like a studio standpoint is Jack and Jill. You're right. And then the spy next door. Man, what happened? The holiday, I guess, the Nancy Myers movie and Garfield. Like, <clears throat> I don't know, but it's exciting he shaped that so many of the films that we grew up with, like with Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis. And, yeah, we and talked John about Jurassic Carpenter. Park as well, right? I yeah. showed you that I got that for Christmas. And like, yeah, Back to the Future and like Halloween. Roadhouse, um, <laughs> uh, fucking Big Trouble in Little China, like Halloween, Season of the Witch, Halloween, right? Yeah, the um, thing the thing like come on and then like he went off of a cliff like after looney tunes back in action or garfield i guess the holiday yeah he went off a cliff like he did flubber parent trap what woman want looney tunes garfield the holiday which i'll give him all that you know what those are in the 2000 the 2000s were a weird time you know yeah. um but then after the holiday just i'm like what why like did he just did he I don't, piss somebody off? Like, yeah, like, and then even on the TV front, like, um, he hasn't shot anything on two TV since Scooby Doo: Curse of the Lake Monster in 2010, uh, and Camp Rock, the Disney kid show or thing, and then now he's back for Book of Boba Fett, which is like you can probably tell that that's a John Favreau or I doubt Robert Rodriguez because he usually shoots his own stuff, right? Yeah, um, so. I don't know whether it's like a John Favreau going like, what the fuck's Dean Cundy been up to? <laughs> and then going, do you, you still want to do uh, like, you want to do a star war? And then he's like, yeah, sure. I'm uh, sorry. Just got to finish up slam a jamma and I'll come right over. And I'm like, what? Anyways, we got off on a tangent. Like it's, um, it's, it's weird because like, you can understand like someone like Wally Pfister kind of falling off the face of the earth after because you direct you put it in director's right? jail, which almost puts you in cinematographer's jail too. Yeah, but the Dean Cundy thing is really fascinating because again, there's a guy who's like, and I don't think he's ever been nominated for an Oscar either, which I think is really weird. Or has he, he was for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Okay, uh, but other than that, only, that's, that's the only movie, which is so wild. Weird. Yeah. Which is wild. Yeah, he must have either pissed someone off or. I'm trying to look like what is something happen? Um, I don't know. We're getting off on a tangent. The Batman looks great. The new trailer um, I thought was a little bit more conventional. Um, 
like it was called the bat and the cat, which I thought was cool. Uh, shout out to Matt Reeves. Also, why I love that guy is you can tell he really gives a fuck about presentation as well. Like Post putting his stuff on Vimeo and Vimeo in 4K, <laughs> and he's like, "This is the place you got to watch it." And like, it seems like he would be a guy who would go to cinemas and yell at them if his movie wasn't projected properly. Um, not yell, but he'd be like, "Guys, this means a lot. Like, you need to make sure that this like looks really good." Um, and that's what the attention to detail, things like that, that don't look that important to people. Being like, "Oh, okay, he's telling you to watch the 4K trailer on Vimeo." I'm like, "No, that's showing." And the David Fincher thing, even though Fincher can be like a controlling guy, but to bring everything full circle when you talk about the packaging for his movies, that stuff to me is the attention to detail that everything matters. You know, like. I'm putting my life and soul into this movie. It's not just a something I'm throwing out to the ether to a, a big studio and it's going to come out and you're going to eat some popcorn and you're going to enjoy it. Like this shit matters to me. I want you to see it in the best way possible or I want the packaging to be the best way possible. And those are signs that someone like genuinely gives a shit. So that's what makes me really excited about whatever Matt Reeves does. Uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, we don't know much about it. We got that poster randomly. Um, oh, I wanted to mention year. with the Batman as well. Yeah, what please. I thought was interesting is that it is going to be available on HBO Max in 45, April. 45 days later, yeah. So even though you know it is going to be exclusively playing, <laughs> it's not going to be day and date like last year you know for people that maybe are still uncomfortable with going to the theater for the time being it's not going to be too long afterwards so i think that that's kind of i think a 45 day window is perfect yeah to be honest if i'm if i can be completely honest with how theatrical presentation should go i think spider-man has proved that people still do want to go to the movies for certain movies um and if it's the only way to see a movie, I think they will show up uh, if it's something that w- they want to see. But then you're seeing things like The Matrix and The Kingsman uh, underperform. Or oh, even Licorice Pizza, right? <clears throat> yeah, which they decided to kind of pull the wide release of Licorice Pizza and uh, keep it limited uh, for the time being until next year. So um you know, it's a weird time, but I think that 45 day window feels perfect. Like waiting, giving a month and a half for people to go see it exclusively in theaters. And then, you know, if you want to wait, you wait a month and a half and you watch it on streaming or you rent it. Uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. Don't know much about it, but the cast is great. The poster looks awesome. IMAX too, right? Uh, IMAX. It was shot in yeah. IMAX, some of it. <clears throat> oh yeah, that's, that's fucking exciting. Even if we were a little bit... Um, soft on his last movie um us us um i'm still no matter what he does i'll be excited for it uh don't worry darling we got that little tiny teaser clip uh like last like a few months ago and that's been kind of the only thing we know about this but uh florence Pugh, harry one more thing on on uh nope yeah, Hoyt sure. Van Hoytema is the cinematographer. There you go. Christopher That's Nolan. Awesome. And speaking yeah. of Let the Right One In, you know, one of the yeah, best working yeah, yeah, right yeah. now. So Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Don't Worry Darling looks awesome. Olivia Wilde following up Booksmart with uh, something that looks like a bit more of a thriller or like a psychological drama. Um, loved that little teaser that we got. Looks very stylish. Really, really looking forward to that. Eric, if you have anything, just chime in as I go through these. Um, 
Women Talking, which is the Sarah Pauly um, movie, um, sounds really, really dope. Eric, you were talking about this before. It's about the Mennonite women. Uh, looks sounds really intense, right? Like yeah, about, and like, and Sarah Pauly, I mean, I think is one of the mm-hmm. best um, Canadian filmmakers uh, right now. And and you look at movies like Stories We Tell and and Away from Her and and Take This Waltz, like they're very character sort of focused and plot second and find sort of like details within her characters and storylines, whether it be, you know, very personal about her own family. I think stories we tell is one of the best documentaries in the last 15, 20 years. Um, I, I, I always, I've always liked Sarah, Sarah Pauly's like Matt Reeves where like, it's like, you don't necessarily think of her in like maybe the top tier of yeah. like great filmmakers, but she always delivers. She's always so she good. She hasn't worked a lot lately though, right? As, like, as a filmmaker, no. Yeah. And, and, she's been and doing I, some TV stuff or what has she been doing? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think she did Alias Grace, which right. was the Netflix series with Sarah Gadden and uh, David Cronenberg. Um, but yeah, she hasn't done like a feature in a while, even though she's been developing a couple of projects. And this is an all-star cast. You have Frances McDormand in the lead. You have two of the Dragon Tattoo uh, stars in previous adaptations with Claire Foy and Rooney Mara. You have Jesse oh, Buckley. Yeah. You have Ben Wishaw. Um, it's it's going to be one of those films that I think will probably end up premiering, you know, at the fall festival season, most likely Toronto. And yeah. um, it'll be really interesting to see if that is a film that will play uh, during the award season. So mm-hmm. uh, sticking with Toronto, uh, Dome She's turning red, which is the Pixar film that's coming out March, April, March. Yeah. It's, it's <clears throat> something of those early. Months. It's the I'll, earlier Pixar movie. I'll look it's it up like, right now. Yeah, it's it's the spring Pixar movie, I believe. Um, I, we had to put it on the list because I think each year you got to have one Pixar movie that you're like super excited. I, I think both this year I'm very, very excited about. And it's honestly a toss up between Lightyear and, and Turning Red for very different reasons. But I think why we lean towards Turning Red, obviously... Eric and I are from the GTA. Toronto is our uh, you know, home, basically. And having a movie set in Toronto from Pixar, I think, is really, really exciting. And then it just seems really creative. And I love these original ideas. Uh, you know, I think that's what Pixar shines at, honestly, right? Like, I love some of their sequel stuff for, and them branching out and doing, you know, a sci-fi action movie with Lightyear with a really funny premise of the man, not the toy of Buzz Lightyear. Um, but turning red um, had to kind of lean towards that, I think because of the Toronto element. And well, also Domi, she's short, right? Yeah. Bow was such, Bow was great. An impressive short film. And, yeah. and so it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like, with Petite Mama, where there's so much story and context sort of whittled down into this short movie, but it gets across so much in the detail of it. And, and sort of, again, culturally speaking uh, is is incredible. So I, I, I think to your point, like, when Pixar does something original and they land, you'll get a soul or an inside out or, you know, the first toy story movie and, you know, like the or Ratatouille, like those are the yeah. movies that move us. The, the originality. Most. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also just thinking as well, like with them using NSYNC in the trailers oh, yeah. and thinking of Red Rocket, <laughs> turning yeah. red and Red Rocket. So turning Red Rocket, there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, uh, Super Mario Brothers. We or is it Backstreet Boys that was in the? Uh, it's Backstreet Backstreet Boys, but yeah, still in that watch. same zone of you know, boy like bands, nineties boy 90s, bands, early two yeah. thousands, nineties boy bands. It all blends together. Yeah. Um, there is still a turning red rocket there somewhere. Yeah. Um, we have Super Mario Brothers, which was my. I, I begged and pleaded Eric to let me put it on the list. And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, it was the one thing where, you know, it is a little bit of a meme pick for me, but it is genuine. Like, you know, I, my first love was video games, even before movies. And I've talked about it a lot. I've tried to inject a lot of video game knowledge and and stuff into these shows whether it's reviewing the last of us like it was a you know feature whether well, the kingsman right like that, um, our review the Kings, of the kingsman. yeah the kingsman being very video gamey and just like trying to inject that wherever i can and and showing my love for video games in and how it's kind of influenced my love of film because like the games that i love the most even though i played like 12 hours of nhl yesterday is like are narrative focused games. And I feel like Mario brothers was never a narrative focused game, but it's kind of where my love of like entertainment and, you know, stories to an extent, but like or interactive media and, and stuff like that began. And, and Mario is very, very special to me. The super Mario brothers movie is very special to me. Like the, the one from the nineties, because like, again, I think weirdly, like, I don't know how many other people say like the super Mario brothers movie was one reason why they love film, but like, it is one of the reasons that I love movies is like, it's not a good movie, but it's really like a train wreck, but like, it's such a train wreck, but when you're a kid and you see that movie and it's, you love video games and you're seeing a Mario brothers movie and you're seeing Yoshi and uh, a bob and like, uh, and princess Daisy. And, and even though they made all these changes and those kind of influenced the games, cause Daisy became a character in the games. And um, I think bef- after that movie and, and it's just like, I, that movie, again, I still love because of that. So for them, finally, after being scared of doing any Nintendo kind of thing as a movie or TV show for the longest time because that movie was such a train wreck, and I genuinely like that movie because I think it's more ballsy and, and weird than a lot of – like Disney made that movie in the 90s, which is wild. And um, it's just so weird. And – I'm assuming this will be way more conventional and it'll be a pretty standard illumination, like kids movie. Um, And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I'm still very, very curious with that voice cast, especially like what the tone's going to be. I'm assuming the story is going to be the classic Bowser steals princess peach kind of thing. Like, but is it going to be irreverent? Is it going to be more Lego movie? Is it going to try to maybe, you know, there, there's rumors of the Donkey Kong Country um, spinoff movie with Seth Rogen. And Donkey Kong Country is another one of those properties that, like, I replayed all three of those Super Nintendo games this year. I watched the very Canadian animated show back in the day. Um, and that excites me that they could build this weird Nintendo verse, maybe leading into like a smash brothers Avengers style movie that like, it sounds so dumb, but like that genuinely excites me even as a 33 year old man. And, um, 
I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Like, I, I don't like the Chris Pratt casting. I like the casting of everyone else. Um, and then the illumination factor, like I liked the first Despicable Me, but, uh, and I liked the first Sing movie. Um, I fucking hate the minions with a passion. I thought the Grinch movie they did and the Lorax movie were, were fine. Um, but I, I like the potential of where this could lead us. And I think with video game movies with Sonic the Hedgehog and, uh, even, uh, Detective Pikachu to an extent, neither are great movies, but I think we're slowly making progress of video game movies being at least entertaining, even if they're not great. So if, well, even if, Tomb Raider, I think the, the yep. Alicia Vikander movie, you know, takes not the adaptation of just doing Tomb Raider, but looks at it from the <clears> point of view of kind of a generic action adventure movie and sort of applies that and makes it work because it's playing within those kind of tropes. Yeah. And, and to your point with the baby steps of coming back into, you know, like Nintendo coming back into, <clears> you know, uh, the studio system and, and working to adapt some of their properties. Like, even though this doesn't really excite me to any extent, I wouldn't be against a Star Fox movie. I, Dude, I think and that if would this be leads amazing. to that, that's all that this movie needs to do. This movie needs to hit a 3 or a 3.5 out of 5, and then we might get a Star Fox movie. And we'll get this Donkey Kong movie. And like a Star Fox movie, speaking of Lightyear, that's what a Star Fox movie like could be from illumination or something like that. Right. And I'm hoping Lightyear does really well. So a star Fox movie and Mario does well. And then a star Fox movie is definitely one of those properties that they'll do. Legend of Zelda is one that you got to think is going to happen. And then star Fox being another, if they're already doing donkey Kong, that already makes sense. Cause donkey Kong has its whole thing. King K rule, Diddy Kong, Fred Armisen is cranky Kong. Like they already have, um, basically some of the people there. Um, and, and then doing the it animated too, right? I think like like, the like right in the way, way that yeah. Spider Verse is kind of sort of doing new things with the sort of style of animation and also paying tribute to, you know, the original source material of being a comic book. I think you can play around with the animation more in something like this than doing another live action. No, uh, the live movie. action that's never happening again no. for sure. But um, I don't know. I, I'm holding out hope. I think the cast is so unhinged that it could be like Anya Taylor Joy as Princess Peach is perfect. Charlie Day as Luigi, weirdly perfect. Jack Black as Bowser, perfect. Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong would have never expected it, but perfect. And like the only thing throwing this off is Chris Pratt. And and I like the directors. They're the guys who did Teen Titans go to the movies, which I thought was a pleasant surprise like i had no expectations for that movie and i actually thought it was very funny and very clever so if they can bring some of that irreverence and kind of humor to mario and not take it too seriously um i'm hoping nintendo gives because nintendo notoriously very controlling and also makes very weird decisions all the time like very bizarre decisions. So well, even in the casting, um, that does seem like, like that's a part of that. For yeah. Pratt. Yeah. Anyways, spent a lot of time on Mario, uh, poor things, Eric. Yes. What's poor things again. So that out, is I, your ghost. Oh God. Yes. Of course. Uh, Had to be Frankenstein esque story with him reuniting, uh, with Emma stone. 
Um, it also has Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, uh, Christopher Abbott, among uh, many others. I think Catherine uh, Hunter, who is in um, the tragedy Macbeth, who is the scene stealer, and that is the the three weird sisters. Yeah, she uh, has in a it. Part. Margaret Qualley. Qualley. Yeah, and so with with that, like even when you read the Jared Carmichael's in it too, Jared Carmichael and Christopher Abbott reuniting. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That is really interesting. Um, So you have, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos doing a full on genre movie. (laughs) But when you read that synopsis, it sounds completely uh, out to lunch. And it's so exciting to think like what that film could be. And there's a guy like with maybe the exception of the lobster, which I think, the first half of that film works really well and the second half kind of falls flat. Um, has Remy really, Youssef as well. Cool. Yeah, hasn't really disappointed. You look at how sort of atmospheric and anxiety-driven and it, 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 and it is a horror movie, The Killing of the Sacred Deer. Or you look at oh, how yeah. funny you know and savage the favorite is um so uh, you, you, or even dog tooth like you know like his early stuff as well like it's it's all really deadpan and brutal but always again irreverent and i'm really excited to see like willem dafoe play like a dr frankenstein-esque character love that um we have david fincher's the killer yeah, so this is this is something he's been trying to do for a while now to the point that like he's been wanting to collaborate with uh Andrew Kevin Walker who wrote 7 uh again it's based on a graphic novel and it says Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton and it's about a hitman sort of it's the cliched story of a hitman sort of gaining conscience and sort of trying to right wrongs and go in a different direction than what he's done before but in the hands of david fincher like it seems like it's combining you know elements of what makes fincher fincher and i think for people that were disappointed with mank this seems something that'll be kind of maybe more more of their alley speed yeah which is i think i'm in that boat i didn't think mank stank but but you didn't uh, think mank was dank either yeah (laughs) and then keeping with killers uh scorsese has killers of the flower moon which is the apple tv uh paramount sold the rights to apple tv right yeah and i think they're working together on the theatrical distribution of the film yes still. i believe so that's correct it, yeah. it'll play it i guess like the tragedy of macbeth it'll play in theaters first for uh maybe a, a few weeks or a month i think scorsese will probably try to extend it for as long as possible um but it's based on the novel which is also based on the true story of the osage um first nations um being literally um Um, sort of screwed over by this group of white men who were marrying into the family because the Osage First Nations were um, living on land that had oil and they were sort of, you know, taking that and using that as a... um, as a way of, of, of finance and economics. And, you know, you have this group of, of, of white guys kind of coming in and saying like, no, we're going to take advantage by marrying into the family and DiCaprio, who was originally going to play an FBI agent uh, that's now being played by Jesse Plemons wanted to go with um, one of the men who marries, um, I, I believe in, in the film, she's played by Lily Gladstone, uh, who's really wonderful in uh, certain women. Um 
and sort of that is fascinating in itself that DiCaprio would want to go with a character or play a character that is a little bit more kind of reprehensible and sleazy compared to like a classic like FBI agent kind of coming in and investigating the situation. Yeah, because weren't they surprised that it was like, isn't it more of a supporting role? Is yeah, that, well, like... they 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 changed the script. Mm. So the script was originally like all focused from the point of view of this FBI agent, but because DiCaprio wanted to go with this um, other role they kind of retooled it to make it more sort of not completely focused on him, but kind of give that character right. a more little to bit do. more meat. Yeah. Because the other character that I'm, I'm going to be really fascinated to watch is the character that um, Robert De Niro is playing. And, and that character specifically has been called the white devil and is yeah. someone who's responsible Hale, for yeah. genocide of, of, you know, this, this first nations group. So yeah. Um, what a cast though, DiCaprio, Plemons, De Niro, Lily Gladstone, Tantu Cardinal, um, Brendan Fraser, John Lithgow, um, tons of people like it. it yeah. It's going to be a, you know, any new Scorsese, you gotta and it's just interesting for. that like you're you're seeing him sort of take advantage of streamers right now right with yeah. you know netflix with the irishman and making a movie that's who so- is going to give him control and money right yeah and streamers are going to do that so. exactly and they're going to give him whatever he wants and like there's there probably was no sort of it was probably a bottomless pit in terms of budget for for him for the killers of the flower moon where like like it's same thing with Irishman. Like Irishman was supposed to be with Paramount and that didn't happen because he wanted a budget of almost $200 million. And, you know, yeah, I don't think the de-aging works in the Irishman, but at least he got to make the movie he wanted to. And I feel yeah, the same no, way I with Killers of the Flower Moon. So It's the perfect thing because box office isn't the be all end all with these streamers, right? Like sometimes even just the clout of Scorsese making a movie for Apple is what they want out of the project. Right. And Apple has so much money that that's all they need for this is just like, maybe it can win us an Oscar or get us some Oscar nominations next year and bring some clout to our studio. We don't mind if we piss away $200 million and we don't really see a return on it. Like that's what's great about streamers right now. I think is that, you know, they will be giving Marvel-sized budgets to filmmakers like Scorsese or, you know, whoever. Ridley other- Scott, who has the Napoleon film that he's going to be shooting in January. You're seeing and- more and more guys. Spielberg's even, you know, being a hypocrite and working with, like, you know, um, streamers and stuff like that. And, you know, Scorsese, all those guys who said that, the, you know, it film is the the be all end all, but then, you know, money talks and control talks and you want to make the film you want to make. And if they're the only ones going, you might not like our release strategy, but we'll give you what you want. And then they'll go, okay, but you have to put it in theaters. (laughs) And now luckily not the silver lining from the pandemic and stuff is like, it seems like cinemas are more like the control has, you know, it's not like it's two big conglomerates fighting, whether it's the cinema owners or, you know, these big studios, it's not like it's the little guy versus the big guy. It's just big guy versus big guy. So it's really the smaller theaters that are hurting, but um, the controls being taken back a little bit of being like, no, they, the cinemas want the movies. They're like, we'll play whatever. Now Netflix logo pop up. We'll show a Netflix trailer. Um, Like it, it, which was seemed unheard of a couple of years ago. So 
Um, Especially in, in like Canada with like Cineplex where they yeah. were so apprehensive, even like during, you know, the Tiff, festival season, even, right? You couldn't even be seen. Like if someone from Netflix like showed their face at Scotiabank, they'd be shot on sight. Um, <laughs> um, and then we have The Whale, which is the Darren Aronofsky movie. All, was it also with Brendan Fraser? Yes, he is the yeah. lead in this. This is This is based on a stage play about – a man who has lost his partner and is also mm. trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter and how he is literally eating himself to death. Yeah. He's like bedridden and 600 pounds. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that should be very, very interesting. Uh, I love Aronofsky uh, working with a 24, which is cool. Um They've already shot it, and um, so yeah, it definitely seems like it is coming out next year. So uh, that is why it's on this list. I will always be excited for a new Aronofsky. Like, is Mother the last thing he did? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it right? was. Yep, I, I love Mother. I know it's very divisive. Yeah, but... and also look at like um, that. That's a fascinating movie for for Paramount because when they released that right. film, like it did, they horrible. didn't know what to do with it. And yeah, yeah and it, and and I I understand that, but like the, I think a twenty four will know what to do with the whale yeah. and just with Darren Aronofsky. Seems like a good fit, right? Yeah. Like mother would have been a, you know, a 24 would have marketed the shit out of that and it still wouldn't have made a ton of money, but it would have made good a 24 money. Yeah. Um, men, um, which is the, uh, um, what's his name? Alex One Garland, like Alex Garland, uh, movie. So, uh, you know, we, uh, since, um, he did TV, he did devs, which you watched. I did not. Yes. Right. And he did that in between, um, annihilation, annihilation. I'm blanking on another paramount movie that didn't do that. that well. <laughs> yeah. Shout out for them for taking risks. And I think that's why they just went, we're going to punt everything two years and we're going to sell off the other stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, any new Alex Garland, like, um, I'll be pumped for cerebral, like heady sci-fi stuff. Like I, I do want to get back to devs. It's just, I, you know, I think you would I, really like, devs. I know I would. Cause I've really liked everything Alex Garland really has directed. Um, because I do like that really heady, weird sci-fi stuff that he does that has the very slick kind of neon lighting kind of, cinematography as and well, soundtracks like, too like i think i think yeah. he doesn't get enough credit for the song choices he uses in film like you think you know get down saturday night and and ex machina and how that is used and obviously the, the the it's become a meme now with oscar isaac dancing but like he he has this wheelhouse where his bread and butter is self-contained locations that are kind of combative with both organic nature around it but something that has been built by man that is cerebral and artificial that is trying to fight for its own autonomy and there's just something about that that hits a sweet spot of mine where like i feel like he's doing because obviously he collaborated with danny boyle before that and he's just doing something that I I just think works for me personally and like when when you're watching his films there you can you can accuse him of kind of making the same movie over and over sure. again but I think that they work and again like with with men like the premise is you have 
Jesse Buckley playing this woman who goes on vacation after uh, her ex-husband dies. And everything I've seen from uh, the cinematographer uh, Rob Hardy's Instagram, he is saying it is one of the weirdest things he's ever made. And based on that alone and based on what Garland has done previously, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you got to be excited for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another A24 movie. How many yep. A24 movies do we have? Those two. I think maybe just those two. Yeah. Um, couple neon, couple A24. Uh, then finally wrapping up, we have the last, we already talked about Crimes of the Future, uh, Disappointment Boulevard, which is the Ari Aster film uh, with Joaquin Phoenix. And is Meryl Streep in this too? No, I, do, I oh, don't she, know. Did she bail? I, did she bail? I think she maybe bailed for uh, Don't Look Up. Yeah, she's not in it. No, she's still listed in the cast on, I mean, Wikipedia, you can't trust really. But um, Joaquin Phoenix, Nathan Lane, uh, Parker Posey, Michael Gandolfini, Zoe Lister-Jones, Dennis uh, Menoshe, uh, Meryl Streep, Richard Kind, um, and more. But uh, A lot of yeah. theater actors, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even more than that, too. But, um, I mean, it says it's a comedy horror movie. And um, I I have no idea. But, you know, a new Ari Aster I'm going to be excited for. So Yeah, and it's supposedly, like, some people were saying that it was Nightmare based on... Nightmare comedy. <laughs> it was based a on four his four-hour-long short... nightmare comedy, sorry. His, his short film, um, Bo is Afraid, which, if you watch that, it is one of the weirdest things you could throw on but also what i I think is fascinating is that from the premise you have joaquin phoenix playing like this like very successful entrepreneur type and there have been some um sort of onset photos of him being aged up um so I'm, i'm really interested to see what and this would be ari aster's first feature with a male lead because both hereditary and midsummer were from the point of view of two women Mm-hmm. So um, I'm I'm kind of interested to see what that'll be like, and 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 again, also using A24. a lot of New York theater actors. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm so pumped. Uh, and then finally, the zone of interest. Yes. Yeah, so this is also an A24 film. Oh, from, so we have a lot of A24. Never mind. So this is from Jonathan uh, Glazer, who is best known for directing Sexy Beast, uh, Birth with Nicole Kidman, and more recently Under the Skin with Scarlett Johansson. Uh, it's based on a Martin Amos uh, novel of the same name. I don't know how close it is uh, of an adaptation. I think it's a World War II set storyline. Uh, but there's no cast listing yet. Uh, there's there's nothing really on the film in terms of how much he's taking from that story. But I'm just excited for another Jonathan Glazer movie because the last time he released a film was back in like 2013, 2014. So. Cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, not super familiar. Like I haven't seen, I don't think any of his stuff really. But um, this is your Super Mario Brothers, so yeah, <laughs> no. the zone of interest and Super Super Mario Brothers together. Uh, I think that just sums up our back and forth uh, perfectly. Uh, so to kind of ra- uh, to go through everything once again, we have Blonde, The Northman, Bones and All, White Noise, Triangle of Sadness, Jackass Forever, 
the batman thor love and thunder nope don't worry darling woman talking spider-man across the spider-verse part one turning red super mario brothers poor things the killer killers of the flower moon the whale men disappointment boulevard the zone of interest and crimes of the future um if you want to find all of these movies uh we are going to throw them up on a letterboxd list which will be on the untitled underscore movies letterbox page which is the same place you can get all of our reviews all of our youtube links everything so just go head over there to letterboxd uh untitled underscore movies and we'll probably be sharing some of our letterbox stats next week on the year in review show so uh, we looked to the future, and the next episode we will be looking back at 2021. Eric and I will will share our uh, top. I, I you have a top 400 or whatever, but you can go through however many you want. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go through probably a top 25 of next week. I've already put out on Twitter today. I, I kind of. Uh, copied Barack Obama's uh, best of the year thing and just copy and pasted his tweets and put my own stuff in there with Comic Sans. So Eric will also be sharing some stuff on his social that way as well. We're just a couple morons where I put my top 15 films in alphabetical order. But next week I will be doing, you know, the whole countdown 25 to one. And then Eric and I might have a combined list. We'll see. Um, if you guys want uh, some reviews, you guys can check out our review for Cobra Kai 4, uh, which should be available for you guys to listen uh, to right now. Uh, you can also listen to our aforementioned reviews of Spider-Man, um, No Way Home. We have a uh, epic, you know, close to this podcast length, three hour long spoiler cast. It's longer than well the as, movie. <laughs> uh, as well as a... Spoiler-free 45-minute uh, review. Both are on the Reviews channel as well as the spoiler cast over on Conversations. Um, we also have reviews up for Red Rocket, The Kingsman, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, more. Uh, we should have reviews soon for uh, Benedetta, Tragedy of Macbeth, Being the Ricardos, The Lost Daughter, uh, The Matrix Resurrections, The Tender Bar, uh, Serrano, um, the, the 355 um, and more coming up. So I know a lot of those movies came out, you know, in, in December, but Eric and I thought we'll spread those out through uh, January since there won't be that many new releases that we're covering. So, and also because uh, we don't know what's going on in terms of at least in Ontario, of, yeah. if there's going to be another lockdown or not. Yeah. So you'll get reviews for all that kind of stuff. It, they'll trickle through, but I think the big ones right now, you'll get a review for Cobra Kai four. I think Eric and I are going to let's review the first episode of book of Boba Fett. Cause we've been kind of doing that with all the Disney plus shows. So uh, it'll be a big streaming week. So we'll have Cobra Kai four. We'll have the book of Boba Fett to kind of round out this year of reviews and then starting next year, you'll get the 355 right away, first week of January. You'll get Scream. You'll get Morbius. Those are kind of the big ones in January. And then you'll see... Morbius! <laughs> and then you'll see... Uh, maybe Chad Kroger will come back for that one. <laughs> um, then you'll get like those other reviews that I mentioned that'll trickle out throughout the month. Because Macbeth is going to be dropping on Apple TV+. Plus. Benedetta will probably be coming to streaming. Uh, being it already is. That's already is available it? on iTunes. Yeah. Well, there you go. Being the Ricardos will be available on Amazon. Um, and Matrix is already available. That one we're a little late on because Eric and I had to see it when it came out. 
Uh, I guess we could have gone over our our impressions, but we'll just save it for the review at this point. Yeah, <laughs> we're already three hours into this. Um, Matrix might be up sooner than the others, just because that's a little bit more timely. Um, but um, just keep an eye on the reviews channel for all that stuff. Um, thank you all for listening, guys. Uh, this will be the last episode of 2021. So thank you for um, sticking with us this year. And you know, weirdly, we've done this podcast more in lockdown and during a pandemic than not in a pandemic. Uh, Cause we're coming in three years or four years of this podcast. Um, still unknown if we're going to be covering Sundance. Um, we'll let you guys know. Um, but again, thank you so much for all the support this year. Um, we'll have, I can't wait for 2022 based on the movies we just talked about and all those honorable mentions and the festivals we'll be covering and, you know, I, it'll be an interesting year because I have to kind of get back to work. So the podcast will have to adjust based on that. Um, but I don't think, I mean, Eric and I did the podcast while I was working before, so it shouldn't change all that much. It's just scheduling will be a little bit different. So on your end, you might not notice it at all. So, but to be completely transparent, but I'm looking forward to another year of doing this. This is my favorite thing. As you can tell, we just did three hours on a Tuesday night and we're going to record a Cobra Kai review after this. So uh, I really, really do love doing this. And I really do appreciate everyone who sends us messages because like, it, you guys are way too kind to us. And um, again, self-deprecating have no idea why you would want to listen to us th for three hours, but we really, really do appreciate uh, anyone who does. And just, I'll see the random messages pop up on Twitter or on YouTube or, or anything like that. And even the people who hate us and yell at us for Dune reviews, you know what? I appreciate you guys for listening to or, or watching. Um, but, you know, reflecting on another year of this show uh, we did so much, like we covered so many festivals this year uh, we started a YouTube channel, which again, podcasts on YouTube aren't for everyone, but, and it adds a lot of extra work, but I feel like, you know, it's fun for me to edit those shows and see the video versions, even if they don't get nearly as much, um, you know, traction as our, we are an audio podcast first and foremost, but um, you know, I think it expands our audience a little bit. We get some people who wouldn't normally, you know, go over on an audio thing and, and check us out. They'll find us on YouTube and they'll yell at us or tell us we're idiots or, or maybe go, Hey, I really like your reviews. And I go, Oh, wow. Thank you. That's so kind. Um, but the starting the video podcast and just the number of festivals we did and the number of movies we covered this year was wild. I don't know the exact number, but, but we're know, well over 300 now. Yeah, well over 300 reviews, but even this year I think we hit 100 and like I don't even know. Like we started our letterbox page this year too, right? Like that was a new thing this year. Um I think we did so much in a year that was kind of a shit show otherwise, but um it's been a blast, man. So thank you Eric as well. Well, thank you, man. I mean, like you uh, you know, we we do this show together, but you know, you do a lot of the technical behind the scenes stuff and kind of keep uh, the, the mechanics of it all working and the machine kind of going. And, you know, for that, I'm, I'm grateful because I have no patience for it. Um, but it's, it's also just fun to do because again, like we just get to, you know, hang out in, in a period of time where it's hard to do that right now. And so yeah. this gives us a, a, a reason to, 
you know, sit down hang out for and a talk, few hours. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's just because we I don't mean, get to hang out in person, right? And uh, like, I I would love it gives us almost because here's the thing: the my other friends that I don't do a podcast with, I, I think the relationship <laughs> suffers because I don't just. <laughs> I don't have a – not that I'm forced to talk to you because of this show and I mean that in the nicest way possible of like it gives me an excuse or a reason to not be a lazy asshole and be like, well, I text Eric once in a while. That's enough and like that's it, right? Like we get to hang out for five hours tonight and two hours of it wasn't even recording and three hours of it was and we're going to hang out and talk Cobra Kai now and it's just like – again, it's just hanging out with – you know, my best friend that I would be doing anyway, but the podcast gives us an excuse to do this once a week or twice a week or three times a week, however many times we record, um, and actually just kind of lets us hang out on video. And that's another reason the video podcast is great. And and shout out to Zencaster and everyone who's, you know, have these great services. And if you want to start a podcast, go do it. It gives you an excuse to hang out with your friends. Reconnect with people that you haven't talked to for two years. Just you have to start podcasts with each one of your friends because otherwise you'll just never see them or talk to them as you get older. Um, I'm just shitty because like I – forget or I just I'm I go through my texts every once in a while and I'm like I gotta message all these people because I haven't talked to everyone in a while because I've become a hermit and just the only person I see or talk to is you and Nevis <laughs> um, so anyways I love you buddy uh thank you everyone um we'll be back next year uh with our best movies of 2021 as always my name is Matt Rohrbeck you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash scene and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. In the year 2000. 2022.